Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado talks through episode 81 of the podcast. And hi there. How you doing? Uh, get comfortable because we're going to spend the next few hours answering all kinds of questions from all over the place. And I think there's going to be some interesting ones, some uh, maybe not so interesting ones. You'll have to tell me. And you can do that by sending more questions in to questions at rotto.com. This show is only as good as the questions that you folks submit. And I think you had a bunch of really good ones. Uh, Jen and I did a whole bunch of going down memory lane when we get into the personal section. Oh my goodness. And... Uh, before I get going with it, there's one thing I want to announce in case you haven't heard. I am so excited that just last week, we have introduced the newest member to the Rotto Runs-Through family, Kim Tolson, Kimberly Tolson, put up her first run-through for... Seven Wonders Architects. And it's fantastic. And Kimberly is fantastic. Please go check it out. And I am looking forward to uh, more great, 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 great run-throughs from her in the future. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a good time for the channel. We're growing. And uh, hopefully everybody is enjoying. And again, uh, you know, this is the main uh, way to communicate with me by sending those questions to questions at rado.com. And I'll cover them next month. But... That's for the future. You're here today, you're here right now, so get comfortable, and we'll start out doing a whole bunch of game-related stuff right after this. Okay, everybody, it is time for the questions. We're going to start out with some, uh, some thoughts from Gerald. Who notes that, uh, he, he, Gerald knows that I played Carpe Diem with the new Rondell rules, and I didn't like it. That is very true. I was not a fan. Did I ever play it again with the star and enjoy it as much as I had before after the rule change uh, soured the experience? Yes, I have. In fact, um, I haven't played it with Jen since, uh, since the, the weird Robinsberger just decided, hey, you know what? Let's do a stealth second edition of the game. When they start, when they did their first reprint of the game, they, they made a re what they view as a cosmetic change to the game that, to my way of thinking, radically changed the, didn't change the gameplay, but it changed the feel. No, that's not true. And it also changed the gameplay and made a very important component weaker to, to adhere to this um, what do you call it? Uh, again, aesthetic change. And it made me so angry. And it really weakened the game. And Stefan Feld himself posted online saying, you don't have to do this. You can play the old one. It's like, why did this happen? That I actually knocked it down several layers. Because the new rules, and the only way you can buy it now is with these new rules that makes the game a bit weaker to make this a, 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 um, aesthetic change. So anyway, uh, Gerald knows that and wondered, well, have I ever gone back? And I mean, maybe I'm over oversensitive. Yes, I did. Uh, I actually got to play, I think it was a four-player game of Carpe Diem at a Dice Tower West convention with uh, Lance Meister, the Undead Viking, and a few other folks. And, um, oh my gosh, it was one of the most fun game experiences I've had in years. If you ever meet Lance, ask him, ask him about playing the real Rotto. When the gloves come off Rotto. When the camera isn't on. And somebody 
takes that tile that I need so desperately. Ask him about playing with that, Rado. It is nothing like my normal camera persona. I get a little salty sometimes. But it was all in good fun. But oh man, we got so loud. And yeah, having that star in the center of the board and bouncing around, it literally lightens the mood of the game. Um, and taking that out makes the game... I mean, people accuse Feld games of being kind of dry, soulless, um, you know, uh, points optimization machines. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a valid critique. So why would you take something that's fun, that adds velocity and momentum, um, you know, rebounding, basically, out to enhance that? Drove me nuts. And I can say, from personal experience, yes, the game is still better with, and I had a fantastic time playing. All right, next up. Did I choose all of the cover-facing-out games based on art or some other criteria? So, uh, for folks who can't see, if you're listening to the podcast, or if you never actually watch me, I am sitting in front of a bunch of shelves of games with all the boxes faced out, and uh, so it looks real purdy. There is... Uh, the. I'm, I'm, I can't really say that I'm doing anything in, the, in terms of, like, uh, you know, color balancing or anything like that. Let me go on ahead and uh, let's see. Let me let me let me look at the full thing a little bit here. Yeah, I'm looking around. It's mostly things that I want to highlight, games that I am especially excited about, or that I think maybe aren't getting as much attention. Like uh, you know, I just put Pessoa. Pessoa is the newest game I put on the wall because Jen, I just played. I just put my run through up, and I think it's a fantastic little game. And it's it's not going to get anywhere near as much attention as you know the latest thing from Fantasy Flight or whatnot. So I'm very happy that is. You know, if ever you watch my videos, just over my left shoulder, there's Pessoa just peeking in, and I hope that it sparks interest in somebody, and then maybe they'll oh, what's that? Well, if it's on his wall, maybe I should search for Rado Pessoa. And then they see my run-through. So, um, you know, that is that that is the thinking. Um, and, you know, the same thing for Islands of the Mist and Anno 1800. I, I love that so much. Uh, and Art Deco, uh, another one from Rio Grande Games. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so that's probably the number one consideration. Things that I really want to celebrate. It's not true uh, across the board, but, I mean, that's probably my number one thing. I, I have occasionally moved stuff around because of colors, because I also just like to have a really nice kind of pastiche patchwork, so it, it, you know, it's just really bright and colorful, but there's nothing monolithic. For a while, I was putting stuff up in the top corner that was all black, so that you basically just could not see my camera, because my black camera would just kind of blend into that, but I've, I've kind of done away with that, and now I just kind of move the camera out of the way, um, which I'm not going to do right now, because I don't want to mess with things, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's more than anything else. Like uh, this one right here, uh, Vivid uh, Memories. Spoiler alert. Um, the, you know, uh, um, what's it? Floodgate Games. Uh, is an occasional sponsor of the R&R show that uh, I do every week with Ruel Gaviola. So, this is a special sponsor slot. I mean, not only do I love Vivid Memories, not only do I think it's absolutely phenomenal, but Floodgate is a sponsor of the show. So, they get the pole position, the best spot, uh, so that anybody looking at me just can't help but keep looking at that, and maybe they'll do a search for Rado Vivid Memories, and maybe... So, uh, but for the most part, all these other ones are just stuff I think is cool. That's my number one consideration. Back to the Word document. Okay. Um, why? This is all from Gerald. Why do I no longer think Boone Lake is Fister's second best game? Um, I, the, the number one thing that when I, I thought about long and hard, I mean, first of all, Boone Lake is fantastic. It's not the number one game of last year, but it, it, it it's definitely comfortably in the top five games of 2021. 
there are a few... There's one huge thing it doesn't do. And I'm actually... I'm kind of kicking myself. I totally forgot to mention this in my final thoughts. But I was so disappointed when I saw it did not ki- continue Alexander Pfister's love of uh, inserting narr- little miniature narrative campaigns into his games that he's been doing in like... Uh, Blackout Hong Kong, and Maracaibo, and uh, Oh My Goods, and all this. And I love it when he does that. It so elevates the experience for me. It so gives me a reason to go back and play. Because I, I live in a world where, hey, after I film the game, I'm done. I gotta move on. But, oh, if there's a story, and the, and the, and the game will keep evolving, I, I, it gives me more of an opportunity to go back and, and see more of the game. And I was just really hugely bummed when I saw that Boon Lake just didn't do it. And I'm afraid it means, is this the beginning of the end for Alexander Pfister's push for more narrative into uh, dry, dusty, uh, soulless economic simulation euros? I hope not. Alexander, say it ain't so. Say we'll be getting a cool little um, you know, a narrative mini-campaign in the inevitable expansion for Boon Lake. I, I certainly hope so. Also, I did actually mention a couple of things in my final thoughts about Boon Lake uh, having to do with the length of the game. And it's interesting. I mentioned two things in the uh, final thoughts that I thought would potentially make really good variants. One is that when you're moving down the river, you always move one more than whatever the tile. I mean, you, you, you take a tile, and that tells you you can move one, two, three, or four steps, and that's the timer that moves the game forward. And I suggested, hey, because some people find the game can take a long time, what if it was always the number on the tile plus one? So you move two to five instead of one to four. And that would hugely... It doesn't sound like much, but that would hugely speed the game up. And uh, Alexander posted in the comments on my final thoughts that that's a great variant. I think it would work great. And I'm like, yeah! Oh, that, 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 that just warms the cockles of my heart. So when I get a little bit of professional design validation. And the other one I mentioned was... Um, the, the, it has this really cool objective system, Boon Lake. One of the cooler ones I've seen in years. But the points you get out of it are just not that impactful. And so it's very, very easy to say, oh, you know what? It's just three points. I'm going to ignore the objective thing. And uh, but the interesting thing is, it's a bit more than that because if you if you score the two point objective, that means you don't lose two points. So it's a it's a four point delta. Still four points in a game where you're scoring as high you do in Moon Lake is just not that big a deal. And so I suggested, what if you score just one, two, three, or four points for the first, second, third, fourth objective, but instead of losing one, two, three, or four, you stand to lose two, four, six, or eight. So that would double the losses, and that would make you afraid, and that would create more tension, and then you would fear and respect the objective system that is so cool. But I think right now, players could safely ignore it and not worry that they're really hurting themselves in the overall standing of the game. So I I mentioned those two, and Alexander said to that one, he really liked that idea also. So take that as an unofficial... You know that both those things implemented... I haven't tried them, those are just guesses, but Alexander reckons they would work really well. I think if those were the real deal, and I got a chance to play it, that would probably bump it up quite a bit. But still, to make it into the upper echelon, I need my stories. I need that narrative campaign. So we'll see what happens in the future with that. But anyway, Gerald's last question. Will I do a run-through of the new Libertaria remake? Uh, There's a friendly call mode. How friendly? I don't know. Yes, I will be. Yes, I have. Where is it? I mean, the box is somewhere around me. Um, although I'm, I'm, I'm really not supposed to talk about it right now because it's under a heavy embargo, and I literally have no idea where I've put it in this room. So, um, yes, uh, to answer your question, I will be doing a run-through. Uh, we're under embargo for it right now. I've actually already filmed my run-through. And, uh, you know, Patreon backers of the show will get to see it a couple days early without the final thoughts, and then I'll make it live, um, I think, if I recall correctly, I believe the 15th of February. So next week, 
the uh, the run through will be going live in a couple days earlier for Patreon backers. And um, I would love to tell you all about it, um, but I'm under embargo, so I'll just leave it there. I'll leave it there. But and I would also love to wave it in front of the camera, but it, maybe it's in the other room because I do not see it. So we're moving on. Gerald is done. Let's talk uh, to Griffin after I get a, a sippy sip of water. All right. Uh, Griffin says recently that, um, let's see, Risa, Griffin says, recently I've been feeling less motivated to learn new board games. Likely this is due to the solo nature of it and being a bit perfectionist as I want my group's first play to go well. I totally, I totally sympathize with that feeling, Griffin. I mean, I always, nothing is worse than sitting down with only a half understanding of the rules and trying to teach it to Jen and wa- seeing her just like stare blankly out of the window when I when I mess up and I don't remember a thing and I got to look it up again. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I, I feel that pain. It's not that I don't want to play them, um, but uh, can find the learning first setup process to be a chore. Of course, it's a major part of uh, your job, Rado. So I'm sure you've experienced this more than me. But do you have any tips to get over the board game learning procrastination? Uh, do you do anything while you read rules? Uh, put on music or podcasts, etc. Do you have anything that makes it easier for you? Um, well, first of all, no way would I put on a podcast. Uh, because if anybody's talking, I mean, I, I need total silence. Um, because reading rules is hard and, you know, trying to, you know, dig through it and it's, and it's boring and anything that's any kind of distraction, my brain goes, Oh, oh I'll go, I'll, I'll go look at that instead. So no, I mean, I, I you know, if, if, if there's something going on, I will leave the room and go into another room and close the door so I can shut. But, um, it's interesting. I, I feel that same thing. Like, Oh, I gotta do a new game today, which is literally every day of my life. Oh, and what I do is for almost every game. I get the game out. I, I I don't care what the rule book structure is. I skip to the, hey, where? show me how to set this game up. And I go through the setup. I find that makes it so much more pleasant because I have already touched all the pieces. I have already shuffled all the decks. I feel like I have a physical connection to the game. And so that helps propel me through the rest of the rule book. There have been plenty of times I've had to read the rules like uh, when I'm on a flight on the way to a convention or something like that, or in the car, and I know as soon as we get home, we have to play this game. And I've got, and I download a PDF of the rules or whatever. Uh, that I try to read the rules that way, and it is literally three times harder for me. If I have not touched these things, if I have not seen them, if I have not seen where they all sit on the table in relation to each other, it just it, it is just a chore. It is a nightmare, quite frankly, uh, for all but the simplest things. But on the other hand. Once I, if I have touched it, that, you know, I start reading the rules like, oh. but having that scaffolding, having touched it and felt it, it makes it, it makes it smoother. It makes it easier. And it's weird. I almost, I don't always, but I often find this as I start reading the rules, I start enjoying it uh, because it is a, it is a, a path of discovery for me because I mean, I've read literally by this point, 10 years, I've, I've done this for almost 10 years now. I have le- read thousands, literally thousands of board game rule books now. Um, from stem to stern. And uh, I, I've gotten to the point where I can really get a good sense, if I've touched it, if I've touched it, I can really get a great sense. I can. I, it almost feels to me like I'm actually playing the game while I'm reading the rules, because I'm imagining, oh, you know, I have literally, Jen has seen me reading a rule book and seen me go, oh, because I, wow, that's going to be cool. I can't wait to try that in game. Now that's me. I don't think that's most people. So that's something that helps me get over it. Uh other things I do to try to make it, I, I am shocked how bad a job the vast majority of board game rulebook writers do. Uh, 
Here's some things to make it easier because the standard structure for a, 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 your, an average board game rulebook has literally gotten worse in the 10 years that I've been doing this. Uh, they all, you know, first of all, they usually they'll do, okay, hey, here's a whole bunch of components. That's fine. I'd rather actually touch the components. I've just explained why. Then they do the setup. Great. But then they'll usually do two or three or four pages of, let me explain basic concepts of the game. Stop doing that, rulebook writers. That is the worst thing you can do. You are forcing me to try to memorize stuff that I have no concept of because you haven't taught me the basics of the game. Um, and sometimes they'll even do that and you won't get to the setup until midway through the rulebook. So the first thing I do is find me the setup, set up the game. Now, skip... Er okay, um, read the um, thematic intro to help me set the stage for where I am, who I am. That's very important. Then, skip everything and go to wherever it is in the rulebook that it starts describing the structure of the game. Often, that is halfway through the freaking rulebook, and that is a sin. It is a cardinal sin that rules writers keep screwing this up. I go there... And um, and usually it's really simple. It's like okay, we're going to play through six rounds. Each round is um, you know is going to be each player takes two turns and or, or passes. And um, on a given turn, you do X, Y, or Z. And um, you know and then you know once the six rounds have passed, we go to a final bonus round where we do this thing. And then there's final scoring. So you got to read that first. First, physically set the game up. Then read and um, absorb the setting and the structure. Then, once that's in your head, you will find everything else becomes a lot easier. And here's the next thing that um, rule writers screw up a lot. They'll start the structure, but like, yeah, okay, um, you know, there's six rounds, and each round, each player will take one action, but they can do bonus actions or whatever. And then they will spend five pages talking about the different actions you can do. And I'm like, I'm not ready for this. Tell me what happens at the end of a round. Don't change subjects on me halfway through this rule book. I'm, re I'm learning about structure. I'm learning the overall flow of the game. But then you stop and make me learn about a bunch of specific things, and then you'll pick up later with the rest of the structure. So, another important thing. Set up the game. Read the setting. Set up the game. Find the beginning of the structure, and then skip all the minutiae and get to wherever the end of the structure is. And um, read the end of the structure so you fully understand how the overall game flows. Once you've done that, then go back to wherever it is. Sometimes it's at the beginning of the rulebook. Sometimes it's at the end of the rulebook. Sometimes it's in an appendix. Who knows? Then go through and read. The, and once you have the foundational understanding of this game, then you're in a position where your brain will much more easily absorb, okay, action X, Y, and Z. This is the way rulebooks should be written. Occasionally, I find one that's written this way, and I guarantee you that's going to be a rulebook that nobody complains about because it just works because it understands human psychology. I say all this, my major in um, college was scientific and technical communication. I took courses to train um, how to take engineer speak and rewrite it so that human beings could understand it. This was originally going to be my profession until I sidestepped into the video game industry. So... It's 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 jaw dropping to me how often they get it wrong, and so I don't blame you, Griffin, that you find it so daunting. But if you I, you can do better than the writers, and I mean you can be more selective about how you jump around, and that's one of the things that helps me quite a bit is that I I will not stay bound to the shackles of a poorly written rule book. I will dynamically re-edit it on the fly by looking for the stuff I need to know rather than what the rulebook writer thinks they, I should, they should tell me based on dogma, because board game manuals are based off of war game manuals. War game manuals were written by engineers. And, um, and that's where we're at right now, and it's something that the industry must get over. Ah, sorry. 
Rant over. Thanks, Griffin. Next up. <laughs> uh, next question is semi-related, but how do I deal with uh, my partner or game group not liking a game that I love after the first play? Uh, Griffin's had this happen a few times, where the game he adores falls flat, and sometimes he feels uh, it could be his teaching, but he doesn't know. Uh, but he knows it's likely that. Uh, uh, but no, it's like the game is the cup of tea. Um. My solution for that is don't let it happen. I mean, that's why I read thousands of rule books because I, you know, before I, I've already read the vast majority of rule books before the 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 game ever came through my front door because I've checked it ahead of time to make sure I would like it. But that's less important to make sure Jen would like it because five or six years ago, Jen started saying, you know what? I'm kind of getting burned out on this board game thing. Maybe we should take a break for a while. And that was a real wake-up call for me because I didn't used to vet games as much as I do now. So now, I double and triple check. I you know, rely on the pedigree of the designer and the publisher and the developer, wherever possible. Um, I... That's important. Developers do not get near enough credit in our industry yet. Uh, they're, they're so influential. And um, But anyway... Uh, you know, so I, I rely on that. I read the rules, and I'm relatively confident. At the very least, even if she doesn't love it, she'll find it interesting or like it. And occasionally, I screw up, and that's just a personal failure. That I, and I go back and I'm like, I should have anticipated this. I should have seen why she wouldn't like this, because I go back and what did I miss when I when I when I vetted the rule book? So that that's my solution for it. Just don't let it happen. Um, be more selective. I used to be willing to play anything and everything under the sun. I am not anymore. I am incredibly picky. And if I read a rule book and I find even the tiniest whiff of something that I think she might not like, I pass. Because you know what? There's another 20 games waiting in the queue, and I don't need to take the chance. I literally... It's rare that I will literally take a chance on a game if I think she's not going to like it. So that's that's my best solution. I try to avoid the situation because, yeah, it feels terrible when you mess up. All right, moving on. Griffin had some big questions. Perhaps Jonathan will calm me down. Uh, Jonathan's obsessed with a few recent games uh, that he believes I appreciate. Dune Imperium, which is awesome. Uh, Jonathan says, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, Jonathan loves it too. And Imperium Classics and Legends. Don't forget Legends, Jonathan. I think the innovations I've seen this past year in deck building are the most exciting since the original Dominion. Am I being hyperbolic or do you agree? I haven't given this a thought, but you're right. Interestingly, last year, was it two years ago now? I feel like, um, wasn't it 2020 that we got Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins of Arnak back to back? Oh, that's going to drive me nuts now. I need to look that up. All right, Arnak. Arnak is a 2020 game. Um, and in 2021, we got the Leaders expansion. It was interesting. 2020, I played three phenomenal deck builders. Lost Ruins of Arnak, Dune Imperium, and Winter Winter Kingdom. Oh, that's going to drive me nuts. The game from Stan Kardonsky. Winter... Winter Tale? Endless Winter. Endless Winter. Um, all three are amazing uh, examples of the same idea. Deck building combined with worker placement. And all of them did it in new and interesting different ways, melding different things. Imperium brings in the area control, uh, you know, and all and, and, and it was it was a great time to be a deck builder fan, to see games doing so much more. And yeah, I completely agree. Very, very exciting. Um so no, I mean and they're, they're I mean, probably I would say to date, the single most influential and important evolution of deck building as defined by um, Donald X. Vaccarino with the creation of Dominion is what Aeon's End and very few other games do. The idea of don't reshuffle your deck. 
that as you play cards, you define the order. They go into your discard pile, and when you're done, you just flip that over. So that it really enhances the idea of, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, a combo building. Because you build those combos. You put them together, hoping that you'll be able to, as opposed to just hoping the shuffles will give you the combinations of cards. I mean, now that's been around for a while. And so there have definitely been um, you know, great games standing on the shoulders of giants and doing new and cool stuff over the last... Was Did Dominion come out a decade ago? I want to say 2008 is when Dominion came out. I think that's right. Um, but you're right. I mean, I would say 2020 was, uh, was a banner year. Very exciting. And oh, and then you're right. Imperium Classics and Legends, which did come out last year. Oh my gosh. Oh, it drives me so nuts that there's so much take that in there because I would say Imperium Classics and Legends is maybe, maybe top dog... Uh, these days, in terms of heavy designer card games, I would say these games are superior. And this is blasphemy for a lot of people to Race for the Galaxy. Superior to, um, oh, what other ones? Uh, Funfair, I really, really love. And, uh, oh, Raise Arcana. I would say Imperium Classics and Legends take the entire those games are just so drowning with cool amazing revolutionary ideas it is a good time to be a deck builder fan it's just a shame that both games had too much take that in there i just couldn't separate it so we didn't keep them but oh man i mean i would say imperium classics plus legends is the game of the year of 2021 better than anything else that came out if you don't mind the occasional oh you ain't coming to steal your stuff kind of thing I, i can't i cannot recommend those enough so no uh jonathan I mean, you're talking to the king of hyperbolic here. Um, I literally, in my 20s, worked for a software company called Hyperbole Studios. So, uh, hype is woven into my DNA. So, you're asking the wrong guy if you're being too hyperbolic. I think it's great. I'm very excited with everything that's coming, Jonathan. Okay, Kirk um, says, uh, uh, Kirk knows that I have never played Scythe. That is correct. I've never played it. And Kirk knows I'm familiar with the game, and maybe more so now that Shay covered it for the channel. Uh, Jamie Stegmeyer, the designer of Scythe, frequently refers to it as an engine-building game. And based on the definition I've, or that Kirk has heard me describe for engine-building, I'm not sure that, Kirk's not sure that I would agree that it's an engine-building game. Do I consider Scythe to be an engine-builder? That's a really interesting question. I wouldn't think so. Now, and I, 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 I did watch Shay's run through a Scythe when he did it, but I mean, that was like what? Well over a year ago now, I think. Or maybe not that long, but at least half a year ago, and I don't remember a lot of the particulars. But Scythe... An engine means you actually construct something that you run repeatedly to get uh, an expected set of outcomes. Now, here's the problem, Kirk. Engine building is not... Has, does, it does not exist as an official board game mechanism. It, it's amazing to me that when... Um, uh, Engelstein, not Sydney. Jeff Engelstein wrote a book of gameplay mechanisms, and Scott Alden, the head of Board Game Geek, liked it so much. He said, "Hey, let's put all of this. This is like the definitive definition of what uh, what gameplay mechanisms are. Engine building was not on the list, and so I, I think Jamie is right to call Scythe an engine builder if he wants, because there is no official definition of it yet. We do we do not have a Wikipedia entry, or which is what a board game definition would be our equivalent of. So you know, if Jamie wants to call it an engine builder, hey, more power to him." But uh, from what I understand of it, no, I don't. I don't think it is. Um, maybe, maybe there's some engine building esque elements of it. Maybe there's a few little things. But the fact that you take stuff off your board and that um, you know gives you access to things doesn't make it an engine builder. So no, I wouldn't consider it one. I could be wrong, um, but I, I would have to look into the game deeper. And then Kirk continues on a recent Wednesday chat. Jamie mentioned that um, Jamie had specifically designed Scythe with me 
Rado in mind as he had long been an admirer of my show. And um, then... As it's well, do- and then Kirk continues. As it's well documented that I declined to cover it because of the combat element of the game. Were, were, was I aware that Jamie was literally designing the game for me? No, that is news to me. I did not. I I did not hear Jamie. Um, I know Jamie does like weekly Facebook chats. He just gets lives and answer questions. Great that he does it. Um, I did not see that, and um, that is. I feel really bad. <laughs> I feel like I should try it now. But here's the weird thing. There, the reason I didn't try it is because I talked to Jamie. Jamie offered to send me one of the first copies of it. And remember I said earlier about how careful I am to say no to anything that I think Jen and me won't enjoy? I said no. I took a long look at the game. And I was like, look, Jamie, I want to cover it. I love your designs. And I love the production of this. I love everything. I, I, I love the player boards and all that. But correct me if I'm wrong. If I am not willing to send my mech out to steal all the stuff that you leave stockpiled in some forest tile somewhere, that means you're not incentivized to um, to, to invest your resources in defense. Um, because you know I'll never take it. And then mechs become just this thing for exploration and whatnot. And like a sizable portion of the balance of the game goes out the window if players aren't willing to attack each other. Because then it, just, it becomes a lot of It's like, oh, just you, everybody just leaves their stuff lying around, and um, you know, it, it upsets the overall economic balance of the game. And and I said, yeah, is that the case? And he said, yeah, Rado, I don't think you're going to enjoy it. And now that I read this, Kirk, I think he was probably a little crestfallen when he because he told me that he recommended, oh, you probably shouldn't play it then. That makes me sad. Um, I, I did not know that. Uh, and so what's interesting too, I forget Rise of Fenris. I think was an expansion that added cooperative play. And I'm like, I'm all over this. Finally, I get a chance to play Scythe. And I asked Jamie, hey, so do you, I mean, uh, but the thing is, with Fenris, I believe the rulebook, when I was reading the rulebook and vetting the game, it specifically said, we strongly recommend you play regular side before you start playing this cooperative mode. And I'm like, I bet we can handle it. But I asked Jamie and he said, okay, how serious are you for this? I mean, this is for novices, right? And he said, no, I strongly recommend it for anybody, no matter how experienced they are as a gamer. Do not try the uh, co-op game until you've really gotten the basics down by playing the regular game. And I'm like, then you're saying I should skip it. And he said, yeah, you should probably skip it. I'm like, oh, so that's why I've never played Scythe. And like now there's this whole extra layer to it that I, I was totally unaware of. Thank you for sharing that with me, Kirk. That's really interesting. Okay, um, Nelson has five questions, and he numbered them. Question numero uno. Uh, Nelson says, I've mentioned in My Farm Shop, uh, a, 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 a cool little game I did a run through for, that it replaces Space Base. And Nelson continues, I believe Roll for the Galaxy replaced Race for the Galaxy. What are some other recent examples of Game X replacing Game Y? That's a good question. I my brain is not good at that, but tell you what, let me bring up ye old browser. Let me uh, see. Let me go to gone.rado.com and let me see if I've actually made a note that I'm getting rid of this because I've got the other thing. All right, and uh, it's thinking about it. Here it comes. All right. Oh, and all right, I need to zoom out a bit because I cannot see. When you go to gone.rado.com, you get a nice little list of why I got rid of stuff. But I'm zoomed in so far, you can't see it. All right, so there we go. All right, but I need to say, I need to sort this by modified, so we're not talking about stuff from five years ago. All righty. And so, well, 
the 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 crew underwater replaced uh, Quest for Planet Nine. Does that count? No, I don't think it counts. I don't think that's what you're talking about because that's literally just the sequel is better than the prequel. So I got rid of the prequel. Um, right. I got rid of Brussels, but only because a new edition's coming out. I got rid of Rialto. I mean, there's all these re-themed Feld City games, but again, those are the same game. You want different games? Hmm. All righty. Uh, let's see here. I'm just scrolling down, which is not particularly interesting uh, for anybody to listen to, I'm aware. I'm sorry for that. Oh, okay. Steampunk Rally. I really like Steampunk Rally a lot. It's a great deck builder um, slash engine builder slash racing game. But uh, it, it it had like little, ah, look, you can I can drop an oil slick. I can use a grappling hook and slow you down stuff. It's, it's a racing game where we're building our cars as we're racing. Um... And uh, after I played... Did I say it here? What did I say? I said, out of room, calling more games I like, donating to Dice Tower West Convention, maybe you'll see it there. Okay, I didn't go over that. But one of the reasons this one ended up going down to Vegas is because I have Cubitos. And Cubitos does everything, almost everything that I... I mean, not everything, but it it does similar things to Steampunk Rally. But it does it without the, ah, smash you into the dirt, break your car kind of stuff. It's a very live and let live race, and it's so much more pleasant. So that's a great example. Um, Let's see here. Oh, what else? What else has replaced something? I mean, that's one that jumps right out. Most of these are, oh, I'm getting a newer version of it. So that's really not going to be as applicable. I don't think it happens that often, quite frankly. Does it? I mean, that's that's one. If, if that happens once or twice a year... I mean, yeah, Smartphone Inc. got replaced by mobile markets. But again, that's just, oh, you know, the, the quicker, faster, more efficient version of the same game. I think that's going to be more commonly what you see me l- losing a game for. But hey, I gave you one example off the top of my head. Off the top of my head, made everybody listening have to wait while I slowly scrolled through a list. But that's, that's something, right? I've done it. I've done it, Nelson. But you have more questions, I know. Alrighty. When was the last time Jen and I sat down and played a few games that weren't for work, and what games did we play? It has been years since that has happened. Um, back when we were still in Malta. Is that true? Has this happened since? Back when we were still in Malta, when we were really, really heavy, heavy, hardcore into Gloomhaven. Every Sunday, we set aside for Gloomhaven Day. Didn't matter what, I rec- what either of us had requirements for, what games were waiting to be covered. We said, on Sunday, we're just going to play Gloomhaven. And we'd usually play a couple of sessions, or maybe one and a half, and we'd finish the session on Monday morning, and then we'd get back to our regular lives. We did that for, I want to say, maybe six or eight months, and played through almost the whole storyline. Or, the, you know, obviously leaving a lot of side quests off to the side. Uh, we very rarely lose in, in Gloomhaven, <laughs> by the way. Uh, Gloom, Gloomhaven is fantastic. And since then, we eventually had to stop because, oh, we had to start doing other things on Sunday, and then we just never got back into the rhythm. <sighs> so has has that happened for anything since? There might be one or two or here or there, but I can't think of any to save my life. Everything we play is in service of Rotto Runs Through, is in service of creating more content so more people can learn about more games. That's that, it, it, that. That's my entire life, and it will be until I retire from the show. Okay. As a Marvel Champions aficionado, are there any standalone games that I think captures or comes close to the feel of the mechanisms uh, and card play for Marvel Champions, but doesn't require the ever-growing expansion? Can I suggest? I believe I just mentioned this earlier. Um, Imperium, Classics and Legends. Oh my gosh. 
Uh, if you don't mind a little bit of Take That, and you want a completely self-contained standalone game, give that a go. What else pops into my mind? Funfair. Funfair. It's a... It's, it's the same in that, oh, i got a handful of cards. I'm trying desperately to get all these cards played because I feel like I'm not really successful by going all... But you're doing different things. You're building a carnival instead of fighting supervillains. But uh, Funfair kind of scratches the same itch. And again, it feels like a self-contained game where you don't have to rush out and get more stuff. Unlike Marvel Champions. Obviously, Marvel Champions is designed to make you feel like you have to run out and get more stuff. I mean, of course, Marvel Champions by itself, the main box has five heroes, three villains. There's a lot of stuff in there. You'll get a lot of play before you're like... another Kang, I think I've had enough, and you really need to start buying. It's a really great value. But yeah, there's no choice about it. Eventually you will feel like, oh, I need to see something more. Um, So I would suggest the Imperium games, if you don't mind a little bit of player versus player stuff. Or if you do, if you're like me, check out uh, Funfair. All right. What and when is my next top ten revisit? Uh, Kirk's wife. Was it Kirk? I mean, Kirk? No. No. Oh, shoot. Did I? uh, uh, This was all Nelson, folks. Sorry, Nelson, if I was calling you Kirk. Uh, Nelson's wife, and he got into deck building very much. Aeon's End is to blame. And they've been enjoying engine building games quite a bit. Maybe it's time for another top ten engine building games or cooperative adventure games. Maybe. Um, the thing is, uh, switching over to doing weekly R&R top tens, which means I'm doing top fives every week. And they are still top 10s, because if you watch them live on Twitch, after the top 10 is over, we stick around and do Q&A with the audience, and we, and we reveal the rest of our lists. So it's really two top 10s, but only if you watch live. And you don't have to watch live. You can watch it after the fact as well. You just have to watch the extended edition of the R&R show, where you'll get my entire 10 for a given topic instead of 5. Um... The thing is, uh, th- those were not very popular videos. I, what I have discovered is, doing the R&R show, People want top 10s more than anything else just to get ideas for what games they should buy. And the problem is, as I mentioned earlier, engine building as a concept is really foreign and alien to people. And uh, you know, so I, you know, it was not a very popular video that I did. And, I, you know, and, and honestly, I got a lot of flack because for the thumbnail of it, I used like a picture of an automobile engine that had been broken apart. I really like, oh, we're building an engine. And I got so many people who, were, like, who saw the thumbnail and thought I was actually doing a video about cars. Um, and then, I mean, but board game people are like, what, what do you mean engine building? What is that? Can I search for that on BoardGameGeek? And I don't know why you can't. I've already mentioned that earlier in the podcast. It's really weird that that is not a mechanism because it's something a lot of people love. Deck building is definitely something that we should do. Uh, it's been a while. When did I do top 10 deck building games? Let's go to the Google. The Google will tell me. Rotto, top 10 deck builders. I feel like it's probably like... Uh, I did it... It's only 2018. So, four years ago. I would say maybe at the five-year mark might be a good time to do that. Uh, five years, we'll have enough... Because I, I would want it to be celebrating all the new cool stuff. I wouldn't want it to just be a repeat of the same thing. So, yeah, I, th- I think in five years. So, probably... Not this year, but next year I'll be revisiting that. Um, sorry. Okay. And then finally, Nelson says, For the R&R show, it would be awesome for listeners, like Nelson, uh, who send in email with secret words to get some kind of acknowledgement or auto-reply that says something like, You've sent your secret word to some game name. Good luck. Are you talking about the secret words that people have to find? Um, here's the deal, Nelson. Uh, there's nothing automated about that process. Uh, those emails that go to contest at rotto.com, I look at every single one of them manually um, because technical reasons. I used to have a thing set up. I can't do that anymore. So I manually check every, I check every single one of them because sometimes people write notes or send pictures of their pets or what have you. And I really appreciate all of that. 
Um, and so, and sometimes I, sometimes people ask questions and I actually reply because, Hey, I'm right there. I'm, 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 I'm checking it. I'm, and I'm, and I saw you know, people ask questions. I'll actually reply. It's a, it's another way to ask me stuff. And instead of like in this kind of format, sending questions to questions Um, so yeah. So if I were to set up some kind of automated, so when you send that secret contest and you get an email back saying, good job catching the secret word. Well, first of all, a lot of times people don't. A lot of people guess, and it's obvious when they do. And I'm like, I'm like, sorry, you, you, that was not the right. So, and a lot of people spell the secret word wrong, or a lot of people put it in the wrong place, or a lot of people, um, you know, I mean, so that's there, there are many reasons I have to do it manually, and I certainly don't want to manually have to. I mean, I guess I could, but you know, there's literally hundreds of them that come in every week, so I think it's a great idea. And I think it would require me getting a lot more professional and organized and setting up some kind of really smart mail server system or something. I was this close. A couple of weeks ago, we had a catastrophic Rado.com mail failure. The mail server was just down for an entire day, and it really sucked because a lot of people were trying to enter the contest, and they couldn't. That's when we extended the contest for an extra week so that everybody could get a chance to enter. And um, why why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about this? We got it fixed, and that was good. And one of the reasons we had to fix it led to me having to manually check everything. Oh, but yeah, as I mentioned, at the time, you're we like, maybe we shouldn't rely on email for this. Maybe I should set up like you know some kind of online survey, and instead of send question or you know send your entry to um, what's it to uh, can't think of the word now. Uh, you know, send an email to contest at rado.com with the name of the uh, game in the subject header, which vast majority of people don't. A lot of people put it in the, the body and I have to search for it and stuff like that. Um, it, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's no big deal. But if I set up just like some kind of automated online survey where I said, hey, everybody, go to uh, contest dot or HTTP uh, colon slash slash contest.rado.com and fill out the form. Give me your email address so I can contact you if you win and type in the name of the game. I could do something like that. And if you got it correct, then that could be a system that automatically sends out. But I'd be... I don't know. It's something to think about. It's some, it, You've given me food for thought, Nelson. I'll leave it at that. Especially because it wasn't a question. And this is supposed to go to questions at raw.com. Okay, we're moving on to Olivier, who just learned that I will be covering uh, the new implementation for Stonemaier of Libertalia. And Olivier loved the original game and remembers that I was very turned off by the cutthroat nature of it. That's true. Was Jamie pretty sure that I would like the game before sending it to me? Olivier knows Jamie himself. Oh, yeah, the, the story I just mentioned about how Jamie like warned me off of Scythe. Um, or what, was I going to review it no matter what? And just because I love the original design and trust Stonemeyer's, uh, I would say it's that. I, I trust Stonemeyer's game model philosophy, uh, as Olivier puts it. I definitely wanted to try it as soon as I heard about it. Even if, I mean, I said earlier that I vet things. And uh, I'm really careful. I do, and I generally don't try to take chances. I took a chance on Libertalia. And I can't talk about it yet. I cannot give any opinions. You'll hear... I mean, I, I, my, my final thoughts video and the run-through will go up next week. But what I can say is I was willing to take a chance. One, because even though Libertalia was not for us because it was too cutthroat, both Jen and I could appreciate just how brilliant the design is because it is. It's one of the greats. And two, I'll be honest, what I was really interested in was seeing how did they implement Solo. That really caught my eye because I am the biggest fan in the world of Morton Peterson and the Otama Factory. 
And so every time they, any game where Morton Peterson is involved, I must play it. Even if I know Jen and I will hate it, because hey, I'll just check it out for the solo. And I think it's not for a bit of a spoiler to say, my run-through that I'm putting up next week will be demonstrating the solo mode. Although I'll be talking about how the multiplayer mode works and and how, I mean, you see, you'll, you'll get a full sense of the game. Um, but I can't say what I thought of the solo mode, but that's what pulled me in. It was not Stonemire. It was the Otama factory that pulled me in and really made me want to take a chance and check out Libertalia Winds of Galecrest. And uh, I'll talk more about it next week when the embargo lifts. All right. Okay. Uh, next, next up. Uh, and that was it from Olivia, right? Yes. Okay. Hi, Will. Will has come to a point where he really needs to start considering the BGG, ra- or BGG rating his collection in a more thorough way. But before he starts going down that rabbit hole, he's curious how I approach the ratings myself. Um, right. Uh, so, uh, this might be most helpful to think about in two distinct related questions. Question one. You have three questions here. You say two, but there are three. Question one. How do I rate games now? Meaning, uh, what do I, how do I ponder, think, feel my way through? Versus, two, what do I wish past Richard had done when rating games that I find myself now cleaning up today and that future Richard might benefit from, aside from simple um, fact, new versus not new, right, and perhaps bonus question that helps most. Oh, is the third is the bonus question. If I blew up my ratings and started from scratch or were starting over or even trying to merge a small list to a bigger list, uh, how would I consider starting? Pick an archetype game or and then you get several options of how I might do it. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Okay, so the way I do it now is, well, I have a list of four to 500 games I have rated. And for folks who don't know, let's just go to it. If you want to, anybody wants to check it out, let's bring up that ye old browser again. Boop. Let's go to rank.rado.com. And this is a shortcut anybody can go to that lists my collection sorted by my rating system. And my rating system, the highest ranked game I have is 9.9. That is Pandemic. The lowest ranked game I have is on page 2. It is a a 6.9. Uh, Adlung Land. Um, and, and then I've got a whole bunch of stuff. And the odd thing that people will always find very odd is, occasionally you'll, they'll come across Almond Raid the Card Game, which I've rated... 7.6252, and, and I always, or, or Village of Valeria, 7.71623. And they say, how can you be that anal about how much you, how much you like or dislike a game? That's ridiculous. It's, a, it's, it's an artifact it's a, a, of how I rank games. Because let's make up a new game. Let's call it uh, The Millennium Files. Nope, that was a TV show. All I can think of is that. Let's say somebody makes a, t- a board game out of the Millennium Files. Was it Millennium Files? Um, which was Chris Carter offshoot? Uh, the Millennium Project. Let's call it the Millennium Project. And I check out this game, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep this game. Well, first of all, if I'm not going to keep the game, I get rid of it. It doesn't get a ranking, and I, I, just, I describe why I put it. I got rid of it. I put it in previously owned, and so if you go to gone.rado.com, you can see why I got rid of... I don't know, I think I've got like 2,000 games listed there or something like that, with 2,000 reasons that I got rid of games. Um, Because I am fundamentally unhappy with the default rank system. Here's the deal. The ranking system of BoardGameGeek, if you want to rank something, it gives you uh, a metric, uh, you know, suggestions about how to rank. And it's basically a 1 to 10 scale where 10 is outstanding. Always want to play the game. Expect this will never change. And 1 is defies description as a game. You won't catch me dead playing this. Clearly broken. 1, it is ridiculous to have a level of granularity of 
of average game slightly boring four. That's a five. Four not so good. Uh, it uh, it doesn't get into me, but I could be talked into it. Three likely won't play, though I could be convinced it's bad. Two extremely annoying game. Won't ever play this again. One defies description. That's useless. That's all the same. That is. That is the. I mean, if, if this were a star system, a five-star system, a one-star would suffice for all of that, and it would be much better. Because here's the fundamental fallacy of this: the fact that it conflates two different things. It um, the the um, my subjective feeling about the quality of the game and whether I'm willing to play it, and those two things have nothing to do with each other. Because there could be a game that is brilliant, one of the best I've ever played, but you will never catch me dead playing it. And that means I have to give it a one, because you won't catch me dead playing this game, because it has too much take that in it. But I think it is an objectively brilliant design, and it should be a nine. Excellent. But nine is excellent game, always want to play it. There are a lot of excellent games you'll never make me play, ever. And by the same token, there are a few really terrible games that, yeah, I'll play. And so the fundamental conceit of the top 10 system for Board Game Geek has always been broken from day one. It is literally impossible to rate anything by their metrics. And it drives me nuts. And I wish they would fix it. But they never will. It is what it is. So, um, that's why I don't rank anything with a bad ranking, because the bad rankings are where it's really, really bad. Uh, The high rankings, I don't like it either. But um, for the high rankings, first of all, I don't rank anything at 10, because that would be pure perfection. Uh, There's no such thing as perfection. Um, So the highest thing I give is nines. And those are... um, I I tend to think of a nine as... um, I I do kind of like some... I mean, um, I tend to think of them more about how likely am I to hold on to it or get rid of it. A nine, I'm never going to get rid of. Not that... I mean, they do a different thing where I'll always want to play it. No! There's no game in the universe that I will always want to play under any circumstances. That's a ridiculous metric. No game can be a 10. But um, games I'll never get rid of. Those are 9s. Games that are just below that are like, oh my gosh, I love this so much. I'm so excited. I would I would happily play it. I'm, I'm generally excited to get the chance to play it. Those are 8s. 7s are, oh, this is a really good, solid game. I like this. I respect this. I might get rid of it someday. And 8s, lower 8s, an 8.5 is an important line for me. Uh, lower 8s are... And, and 7s are... Yeah, I, I, there might be circumstances where I get rid of it. And then 6s are... Oh, it's it's fine. It's okay. Kind of borderline meh. Uh, in, a, in a standard star system, I rank things 2 stars, 3 stars, 4 stars, and 5 stars. That's how I think of them. And I translate 2, 3, 4, and 5 stars into 9, 8, 7, 6. Right? All right I might have gotten that a bit off. But anyway, that's kind of what I do. So anyway, going back, talking about this game, the Millennium Project, right? And I think, what I do is, how much do I like this game compared... I mean, what does this game feel like? How much do I like it compared to other things? And I might think, you know what? I mean, this kind of feels like a 7-ish, based on those initial numbers. And then I'll go to the 7s, and I'll just start... I'll pick a random place in the 7s, and I'm looking right now at the cave. Do I like it more or less than the cave? No, I like the cave more. Do I like it more or less than the mine? No, I like the mine. I definitely like the mine more. I know that. I think I like it more than Octodice. So then I start going back up. Okay, do I like it more than Village? And this is what I do. I just do that until I find the number, and then I'll eventually find, you know what? I don't like it as much as Indus 2500. I like it more than Eminent Domain Microcosm. And so then I will rate it a 7.7166. Because that's what it'll take for it to appear between those two games in my existing list. 
And it's ridiculous. And it's how I get all my crazy, far-out things that people make fun of me all the time for doing. But it's perfectly logical. I don't know how else I'm supposed to do this if I want to come up with a definitive. Because believe me, this list is a lifesaver for me. It makes it so much easier for me because I, I play hundreds of games every year. And people are always asking me, how does this game compare to that game? Like, well... Go to rank.rio.com. You can see I put hard numbers on it. So that's what I have to do. It'd be great if Board Game Geek had some kind of system other than this, but this is what I got to use. And I, I, it honestly, I kind of think it's funny. Whenever uh, there are weird things that you know, it, Board Game Geek does not want you to put in eight decimal points. You can do it, but you kind of have to paste it in. It won't let you type them in, but you can copy and paste them in because I do have a couple to get that high because I just got to keep squeezing in between other games. And uh, yeah, would I change it? Not if I want to use Board Game Geek. There's, I don't think there's another way you could do this. Yeah, it, yeah it, there, there is not. It is simply impossible. So this is the way I do it. This is the way I would do it again. Now, what I know is, Will, there are... I don't remember the name of them, unfortunately. Um, but if you ask in the general questions on Board Game Geek, people will be able to tell you where. There are sites you can go to that will read Board Game Geek, get your entire collection, and then start throwing a series of flashcards at you. Asking, let's see, in, in my example, um, forcing me to compare my farm shop to The Loop. And then Project Elite to uh, Anachrony. And then Fields of Green to Free Radicals. And then um, Zapotec to my farm shop. And it'll just keep throwing random things at me. And I keep asking the same game compared to other stuff. And I, st- I, I found those. I started doing it once. And at the time, I had three or 400 games I had to do. And after an hour, and it showed no signs of stopping, and it gave me no progress meter, letting me know, when am I going to be done with this? I said, I am done. I, I, I can't use this system. I think, to be fair, it did let you save your progress. So you could come back to it. And I just never went back to it. That is the right way to do it. It's very scientific. Uh, mine is mine is prone to error. Occasionally, I'll be that process I just talked about. I'll be doing it, and I'll realize, oh, that game should be above that game. Oh crap! I got to fix some stuff. Um, you know, because because it's it's very pot shot. The, this other system would be better, but I, I can't. I've, I've seen the sites. I can't do it. I, I'm just gonna stick with what I've got. And because all this stuff, the only place I mean, if there's another site that does this better, maybe I would start over. But I live on Board Game Geek, so this is the best way to use Board Game Geek, as far as I know. So that's my trick. And I, I'd ha- if I were to start all over from scratch, I'd probably do it again. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, I think that's it. We've made it. Then, um, folks, hey, uh, I've done this. So what's about to happen is, well, what will happen shortly is we're going to go to a few more game questions that were of interest that I think Jen might have something to say about. But... Before that, in case you didn't know, I have been streaming this live to an audience of about, I don't know, 80 or so of my most ardent diehard fans. And uh, what I'm going to do is pause here for a second and see if any of them have any questions that they would like to throw in to add to the podcast. So hang on, we'll be right back. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Okay, they've got a few. I kind of liked them. Let's, let's get to them. First of all, 
Let's see. Let me put this on the screen. Knights Around a Table, uh, who is another contributor to the show, does fantastic uh, rules run-through videos. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Ryan, if you're still here, I'll say it. You're, you're the best in the business. And I say that with all the love for Rodney and um, for Paul and for uh, John and for everybody else who does it. But Ryan, you truly are the best. Which is why I asked you to be on my channel doing Rotto Rules Run-Through. But that's neither here nor there. But that's just like a little advertisement, folks. If you ever see a Rotto Rules Run-Through, you're getting the best in the business. Uh, but anyway, Ryan asked, Do I have any opinions about Ravensburger's investment partnership with GameFound? And maybe I should have vetted that a little more because, no, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, Ryan. What, 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 what is this? Let me go on ahead and I'll just do a quick googly Google search. I just do not pay attention to board game media news at all. Google, right now, I see... Robin's Burger slash GameFound. All right, uh, right. I'm just going to do a search for that. What does this give me? Robin's Burger invests 4.5 million in a partnership with board game crowdfunder GameFound. Wow. Well, that's a fine. How do you do? Um, right. It's part. It's part of an innovation and investment program. Uh, Next Ventures. Uh, yeah, because remember, Robinsberger is more than just board games. Robinsberger is a huge publishing company in Germany, if I recall correctly. So they've got money to throw around beyond just you know board game stuff. So quoted in the game, Robinsberger's head of global games, Philip uh, Franke, said the partnership would help make uh, his firm more brand game pitches into final products. Robinsberger evaluates over a thousand games ideas a year, adding we can uh, ultimately publish only a handful of these games on our own, but hundreds more are concepts we know board game fans would really love. GameFound makes it easier for all creators to produce the games of their dreams, and we're excited to support a platform that will help deliver even more game experiences to tabletop fans around the world. Like I said, this is all news to me, but I guess my opinion is that's exciting. That is very, very cool because I definitely believe it is a good thing for Kickstarter to have stronger competition. And um, GameFound, I already believe, is a superior platform, both for the people running the campaign and for folks who are trying to back stuff. Because they just, they when they were setting up GameFound, they implemented a lot of features that longtime users of Kickstarter were begging for. And Kickstarter is just, you know, it's the king of the hill. They haven't had to innovate or whatnot. So, um, if this pumps GameFound to the next level and it pushes Kickstarter. I mean, I know I'm basically parodying the, you know, the standard capitalist, uh, you know, solves all problem cry, but it, capitalism does kind of work on a simple base level. Capitalism has a lot of problems. Re heavily regulated capitalism is the key to prosperity. And when I say heavily, I mean heavily uh, regulated capitalism. Unfettered pure capitalism, one, doesn't exist. Um, but two, shouldn't even be tried because it, it, it will destroy us all. But heavily regulated for the betterment of all capitalism. And the, I'm genuinely excited about that. And so, but I, yeah, I, I don't know much more. Um, I can't wait to see what happens as a result. Let's see. Then we move on to, alrighty, uh, DetailQuest. I have no idea how to say your name, DetailQuest. I'm going to call you Bob. Bob says, a couple of years ago, I had Adventure Inc. as a future game of interest. Seems to have gone quiet. Have I seen or had any updates in regard? Yes, I do. Um, uh, Bob, <laughs> if that is your real name. Uh, Adventure Inc. is going to be the second game from a board game publisher, I believe he named his company Adventure Inc. as well, if I recall correctly. The first one is Plunderous. Plunderous went to Kickstarter, gosh, has it been almost two years ago now? And didn't quite fund. It came out at the wrong time, with the wrong price point, and the wrong 
you know, sales pitch. I did a run-through for it. I think it's an amazing game. Um, and uh, the plan was, after Plunderous successfully kickstarted and, uh, you know, and, and, and successfully funded and successfully shipped, then Adventure Inc. was going to come along. And Adventure Inc., I am still super excited about because where's our Gloomhaven the Rolling Right? Um, you know, taking as, you know, that's what I want. That's what Adventure Inc. is. That's its elevator pitch, basically. And uh, so, but he has put that on the shelf until Plunderous is done. Now, that's not to say he hasn't continued to work on Adventure Inc. And quite frankly, I'm not going to reveal anything about it, but what my, the original elevator pitch for Adventure Inc. is gone, and the new one is even cooler and more exciting. And if Plunderous ever funds and you know makes it into the hands of backers, I am actually personally going to be very heavily involved in Adventure Inc. Uh, in a way that is very unconventional, and I can't really say anything about now, because it, it's, it's kind of a game changer. And I'm really excited about it. But it's on hold, uh, waiting to see how Plunderous does. Um, and Plunderous is hopefully coming back this year. There, I mean, it, 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 it basically, Plunderous 2 is coming back. Addressing all the complaints, concerns that potential backers had. And hopefully it'll do much better, because it deserves to do better. And I'll be covering it when it comes out. So, we then move on to... If I can close that. Alrighty. Um, what we got? Alrighty. Uh, Wesseloid wonders, does my signature sign-off that ends in buh bye uh, have an origin story? It always reminds me of the SNL flight attendant sketch with David Spade and Ellen Hunt and the stand-up comedy bit from Ellen DeGeneres, both from the 90s. Any connection? Yes. I am literally channeling Helen Hunt and David Spade every time I end, because I love that. Um, I think if you just do a Google search, anybody, just do a search for SNL, which stands for Saturday Night Live, Bye-bye, or bye-bye, you will get clips of this. It's a famous sketch um, you know, from one of the best times in uh, SNL history. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I used to say it all the time. And you know, it's very abrasive and derisive. It's a, it's a couple of real jerks uh, in, the, in the sketch. But I say it with love, and it's just fun. Everybody talk to you later. So long. Oh, bye-bye. Uh, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm literally, you, you nailed it completely. That is the quote. I didn't know Ellen DeGeneres had a similar one. It's, it's 100% David Spade. All right. Okay. What have we got here? Um, Goblin981 says, I've noticed that Fister's story campaigns are just a new setup for each game. There's no progress from game to game with a final score like most games would do. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are it's great. It's so simple. It's so easy that you, you have a really solid game that just works, right? And you can just play the game a hundred times. Uh, you know, and that's what Fister does. Oh my goods. Uh, Cloud Age. Uh, whatever. And then you just come up with a few little twi- twists. little I mean, things that would almost be just promo packs or portions of an expansion. So you design those extra bits. And then you say, hey, you know what? After the first chapter, you just played the regular game. Oh, no. A meteor has struck. And now um, you, 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 you did such a great job saving the city. Now we have to fight the meteoroids, monsters that are attacking. And so you introduce meteoroids, a new type of card that just changes it. And you play that. And then you're like, okay. Good job. Uh, the meteoroids are, are still there. And so you play the third game in the campaign, and now you're still having to do meteoroids, but there's the queen meteoroids. It's simple stuff. It's not going to win Pulitzer Prizes or anything like that, but it's just wonderful. And it just pulls me through. Human beings love having stories told to them. I've, I mean, I have often argued, and I used to have to make this argument in the video, when I was a video game developer for years, because you know that's like a, one of the fundamental divides amongst video game designers. How important is story? How important are cinematics? And I always said, they're very important. And I had plenty of coworkers who said, these are a waste of time. Nobody cares. Everybody skips them. No. 
My argument was always, if you go to a restaurant where the front page of the menu has, or the back or whatever, has a little paragraph devoted to the story of how this restaurant came to be, how it was, you know, uh, the, 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 the owner's grandmother came from the old country and carried these uh, recipes and, and, you know, and, and whatever it is and, and came to the new world. And even if something as simple and cliched and tropish as that instantly makes me more engaged and interested in the food I'm about to eat because you just told me a story about that food. As opposed to, oh, this is a, a restaurant and there's no story there at all. What is the story of Denny's? I have no idea. They should put it on the menu. I would be more engaged if I went and ate at Denny's. So uh, I love that uh, Alexander Fisher does it. It broke my heart when it didn't happen in Boone Lake. It doesn't have to be very hard. It's not like it's a really high bar we're trying to cross, but it definitely makes the experience better in my experience, in, in, my, in my opinion. It makes it better for me anyway. Okay, and it's so easy to do. Why not do it? Where's our Agricola story expansion? All right, where we, we go through you know, multiple... You know, multiple generations of a family, and the world keeps changing. It's great if it changed because of choices we make, but that's a lot more work. That's a lot harder. It requires a lot more balance. Don't do that. Just make a series of promos that can be turned on, and it just tells a nice little story. That's great. Um. Oh, especially because the thing I love the most about Fister is, I mean, I, I gave you a really bad example of how to do it. What Fister generally does is there are characters, interesting characters. Uh, I mean, you're really, it's less about the change of the world. It's about these the journey these characters are going on and the interpersonal conflicts. And inevitably, what happens is those characters become cards you use in the game. And like, oh, I'm playing another card. It's Bob. I'm playing Bob now, and I know what Bob what Bob went through to get to this point, how he almost died two chapters ago, and I'm playing him now, and it, it adds so much more weight to just playing another card in a card game. So easy to do. Everybody should be doing this. Anyway, um, let's see. Forest of Glass asks, Do I think the Dice Tower crew would work better at making jokes that they don't cut each other down? Isn't mean humor the easiest humor? And we should be modeling healthy behavior for the youngins uh, joining the hobby and the online creator sphere. I just answered another question about how my literal sign-off is based off of a classic mean humor sketch. I think, um, I think it would be a problem if they get feedback from the audience, if they get repeated feedback that, wow, you guys are so mean to each other. If, if they got that, I think that's something that they should take on board and that they should try to articulate while doing it. Because, I mean, it's important for them to have fun. It's important for the audience to have fun. But it is also important for the audience to understand, look, this is just in the, in the, gla- the grand classic tradition of, of, you know, poke each other humor. Of goes all the way back to Abbott and Costello. It goes way back before Abbott and Costello. Um, but, so I don't think there's anything wrong with it provided that the audience is taking it correctly. And I think it's incumbent to ensure... Like, I, I, I can't speak to the Dice Tower. I don't know what responses they get. But I can, I can give a personal experience. I did a top ten with Ryan and Shay when both of them came on the channel. It was a way to introduce both of them to the audience. Maybe I should do that with Kim. Anyway, though. Um, and it was our each of us doing our top ten favorite games of all time. Uh, our top ten must-have games, which is different than favorites. And Ryan came on and was just blitzed both of us. And I mean, and, and we both thought it was hilarious. We were all having a great time. We were all laughing. But for days afterwards, I got nonstop, that Ryan is the biggest jerk in the industry. Could you please remove him from the channel? He makes me uncomfortable. And it occurred to me my mistake. It was my fault that I did not make it clear to the audience that please bear in mind, we are friends and we are just doing banter. And it's it's just good fun. I, I hope you can enjoy it. I understand if you can't enjoy it. And I mean, I, I hope you'll catch us on the next video. Here's a list of what all the games we're going to talk about are. Um, I, 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 I don't watch the Dice Tower enough. I mean, honestly, I miss it. I mean, it, that was the mainstay of the Tom Z uh, Sam 
Trill, uh, uh, the Holy Trinity, uh, and it was great. They had such great chemistry, but it was all based on you know poking and making fun, and I really enjoyed it. And I think the majority of audience did. And if, if, like I said, if I, th- I think it's incumbent on them to try to make it as approachable and comfortable for their audience as possible, while still being true to themselves. So if it was a if it was an issue, I hope they talked to people about it and made them feel more comfortable with it. That's certainly what I tried to do um, when I had my run in with that. All righty. Hockey Dude asks, what are some good underrated deck building games that come to mind that don't get the hype they deserve? Oh, well, right off the bat, the easy answer, Asonia. A-U-S-O-N-I-A. That is one of the best deck builders of recent years. I did a run through for it, or I did a rundown of it. You can check it out. It's a keeper. I, I think I mentioned it in my top 10 must take on the road games with me because it's, a, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's that rare deck builder where you don't feel like you need to buy more stuff, that it comes with enough in the box and enough variety. It's got a little bit of take that in it, which I'm not crazy about, but I like it so much, I keep it in spite of that. Asonia. And, as was mentioned earlier in this podcast, not enough people are talking about Imperial Legends and Imperial... The other one. Uh... That we talked about at great length at this point in the podcast. Uh, those games should be on everybody's mind, and it's a shame they're not. So those are those are those are the two that come to mind immediately. All righty, and we've got. Uh, let's see here. Uh, right, one more, and it's a, a follow up from Forrest. I, I, I they kind of came out of order. Uh, it's a follow up to the Dice Tower question: Is there a responsibility for content creators? So this is a bit more broad and in general. Uh, not about Dice Tower specifically. Is there a responsibility for contest creators to pro- model positive, inclusive playing habits and behaviors if the goal is to grow the hobby community? I don't think... It, or responsibility is a very strong word. I don't think it's a responsibility for anybody to do anything they don't want to do. Um, I think it's a great opportunity. I don't like to talk about anybody's responsibility. I like to talk about people's opportunity to, as you say, model inclusive playing habits and behaviors. Um, and, uh, you know, if I were to do a run through, I mean, I, I, I'll give you more examples from myself. Jen used to appear almost once a month in live streams and she would occasionally appear in regular run throughs. And it, my wife and I, we playfully barter with each other or barb, you know, joust all the time. It, we've been married for, well, I talked about it, since 1991. And uh, we're very happily married. We're very comfortable. We know what our limits are. We, you know, so, And so occasionally, I would do that with her on camera. And she would not reciprocate because she was fundamentally uncomfortable. She just wanted to stay quiet, play her cards, and get out because she's never been comfortable on camera. And I didn't realize at the time, because I was just having fun, the same way we have fun all the time. And I figured, oh, the audience will have fun too. And so many times I got feedback from viewers. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't brush it off. Viewers saying, wow, Rado is literally an abusive husband. What a dick. I feel so bad for her. He is such, a, uh, such an a-hole. And um, why is he like that? Why does anybody think he's a nice guy? And that was totally my fault. It was not unreasonable for an audience member to take that because they don't have the 30 years of experience of our marriage. And I didn't, it was incumbent on me, if you want to say responsibility, it wasn't my responsibility, but it was a missed opportunity for me to very clearly, one, either modulate, and there, there would have been nothing wrong with that. I could have easily done that. And I think I ultimately did stop. I, I stopped doing the Justin Barbs, which I knew she was fine with. She was laughing, and I would talk to her after, and I would show her the comments. She said, why are people thinking that? I'm totally fine. I'm a grown woman. Why are people you know, upset on my behalf? It's totally fine. And um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I still thought it was reasonable. Um, you know, with the, I mean, I, what, is, what is it? 
Hanlon's razor, never ascribe to malice what can be explained by ignorance. And people who are ignorant of our relationship, perfectly reasonable for them to, um, you know, actually I kind of mixed it up there, but you get what I mean. So it is something that I don't have to change, but I did, not because it was my responsibility, because it was an opportunity. And I think wherever possible, there's two ways to address it. Change the behavior or um, articulate. Our job as board game media people is to explain games. We can explain. We can spend a little bit of time explaining our, our media as well to try to ensure everybody understands what's really going on. And um, no, nobody's responsible to, but it's a shame if given the opportunity to, you don't take that chance. I've gotten a lot of feedback. I've made some terrible, terrible mistakes running my show. And um, rather, when, when people called me out on it, I could just say, screw them. They're being sensitive sallies. I'll just do whatever I want. I could do that, or I could listen. And I could try to make the show better for more people. And that's, that's always been my goal. I would suspect that is true for Tom as well. I, he and I have never had a conversation about this. And like I said, I loved the heck out of uh, Tom Z and Sam going at it. To me, it was so obvious that they were fast friends just having a good time. But I loved Abbott and Costello growing up too. And that's, that, that is a very toxic relationship going on between those two. Hey, Abbott! So, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just of a certain generation. So that's kind of my feeling on that. And that's it, folks. I've made it through the live chat questions. And so, hang on. We'll be right back with Jen for some more gaming questions. Okay, everybody, we are back, and Jen is here. Jen will not appear on camera because she's shy. Hello. There's her hand, and there's a picture of her I took, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. <laughs> yep. Um, okay. Back when I was young. Oh, you're still young at heart, honey pie. That's oh, true. and young in general. I mean, uh, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, folks. <laughs> this is starting off very well. Okay. So we are continuing with some gaming-related questions now that Jen is here, because I set a few aside that might work for her. Starting with Darren, who vaguely remembers me saying that Jen used to be a graphic designer. Is that right? If not, ignore. And that is correct. Yep. Uh, I mean, I don't know, used to be. I mean, once a graphic designer, always a graphic designer, right? You can't beat that out of a person. Yeah. She's no longer a professional graphics designer. She uh, no longer makes her trade at that. But she still is called upon from time to time. For instance, she made the Rattle Runs Through logo just uh, at the spur of a moment, like in, <laughs> I think, in under an hour. What, almost 10 years ago now? I said, honey, I need a logo. She's yep. like, okay, boom, here you go. <laughs> and there it is. Um, but anyway, uh, continuing on. Jen, do you think that while you're playing, or do you think about, do you think about. What do I think? Yeah. Do, oh, do I think about do, that? Do you think about graphic design? <laughs> okay. We're going to get to your question. Do you think about graphic design while you're playing games? Do you think, well, that could have been clear. Oh, gosh, uh, yes. I'd have put that on the top of the card or whatever. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. No, okay. Uh, it is amazing to me how um, things could be better done. I mean, most of the time, to get to be honest, things are really well done. Yeah. But there are times when I think, why did they use that color? Because that color is used elsewhere in the game for something else. Mm -hmm. Or, okay. or yeah, the organization on a card is not as good as it could be, mm -hmm. and it's confusing. And and sometimes just the wording because. Um, I know my husband loves theme, but sometimes clarity needs to give way to theme. And By the way, I, I am her husband, of course. Just... Oh, right. <laughs> my gaming partner. <laughs> I'm the, also that. The love of my life. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, anyway, 
I know that he's very into theme, and I like theme too, but sometimes they go so far with a theme with, with naming the actions various things that are confusing that he has to simplify it down to, okay, this round, even though there's they've made a name, this special name for whatever that particular term is going to be, to yeah. go with the theme of the game. So I think sometimes you need to have um, function over form. So, yes. Yes, I'm sorry, I am that way. Uh, Okie doke. Uh, but that's probably only maybe one of ten games we play. Yeah. Because usually so, they're really well done. And so that's interesting. That was just like uh, off the top of your head, because you don't know what questions are coming, a uh, list of litanies. Uh, and so would you say those, just because they are literally what was at the, just came to mind very quickly, <coughs> are those the most common issues you find? Uh, I mean, I, I, don't, well, I, I know. I, I mean, I... Yeah, like I, the first thing you mentioned was color. It represents one thing, but it was used elsewhere to represent something else. Yeah. And, I, and you're right. I, I think I can... Uh, I, I, I tend to let that kind of stuff go, but I mean, I, I think you often point those things out to me while we're playing. And you'll often say, you need to tell the publisher to fix this. <laughs> and I'm like, honey, this is not a Kickstarter preview. This game is already on the market. Sorry, I can't do Aren't that. Aren't you the god of all <laughs> things board game related and things change if you just, you know... A few things. I, I do have a, a, sm a slight modicum, but, you know, sometimes the timing just doesn't work out. Fair enough. Um, so, do you think that uh, having that eye, which I admit I don't have at all, does it help you for the most part? Or does it, does it make you a better player? Or, or uh... just more discerning? I don't know. I mean, I think I notice different things about a game than you do. Yeah. But I don't know that that's better or worse. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you, Darren. Let's move on to Gerald. All right. Oh, and I remember this question. Honey, you're going to have to get out of your chair pretty quick. Because Gerald asks, what are our two favorite box covers behind us? Oh. And so I have to uh, go back to a full screen view, Honey Pie, which means you want to vacate the frame because oh. you're about to uh, be exposed to all. I'm going to... Pull back the word curtain. All right. I mean, you, you, <laughs> can, get, you can get up. Yeah, all right. But am I supposed to be choosing a box cover? Uh, yes. Hold on. Let's see here. So, uh, of all these boxes, starting from this line. Okay. Because he says on screen, uh, basically from there all the way over to my farm shop and that column. And we just are talking about which box cover I like. He the said most. Uh, your two favorite box covers. He gave no. Uh, indication of what would define it. You sure you don't want to get up so you can actually see them all? I can see them. My right. eyes work. I know, but it's just, I mean, you can't see the ones that you're literally not looking at because there's a bunch more to your right. You but, said here, right? Yeah, yep. Okay, I can see those. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I could guess at least one that Jen is going to pick, although she just hasn't noticed why yet. I haven't noticed why. Well, I'm going to go with Calico first thing. All right, that yes, Calico... Just... Calico is just barely on screen, so that counts. Yep, I love that. It's such a warm, cozy image, and I love the colors, and I love the light on the cat, and it's mm -hmm. just so mm -hmm. delightful. That's a good one. That's a good one. What else? And I'm just looking purely at graphics, right? Yep. Well, he, he gave no qualification. You could say based on the font, if you want, I suppose. I feel bad for everything in that column, though, because you just keep looking over here. What It's going to keep on... I'm looking at everything. I All think. right, okay. Yeah, you're giving it a long, hard look. Okay. Um, you know, I didn't think this was going to take quite so long, so I'm going to pause well, for a second okay. uh, for folks who can't see what we're looking at. We are back. Uh, Jen, I don't know if you heard what she said. I'm going to pause again. Okay, Jen is giving it quite a bit of thought. So, uh, <laughs> Calico is your number one. What's your number two? Um, I I, I can't just choose. 
two. You get to choose two. Well, okay, it's a tie then. <laughs> because I really like Santa Monica because I Really? Like, I like the I just like Can the whole the view and I I think it's crisp and clear and sunny and happy and I just wow. really like that. Um, but I also really like Luna Capital because what a cool logo that is. Wow, really the like logo that. gets it for you. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I mean, you know the box, it's, the art itself is kind of gray. Yeah, well, it's dark blue and yeah. kind of midnighty. Huh, okay. But I just really like that logo. It just really catches my eye. So those are tied for second. You yep. cannot uh, pick a, a final one. I guess you can put that one okay. back up. Um, okay, well. How about you? Right off the bat, I really like Vivid Memories. I think uh, I mean it's just so wonderful and charming and evocative. Uh, just a very very cool idea. This little girl who dreams of really big things, and uh, and Andrew Bosley's art, of course, is always phenomenal. And um, so that one, I really, Jen's uh, blocking it. I really like Islands in the Mist as well. Uh, that's another just speaks of adventure, and I mean it's just so cool. Yeah, but it's really cool. yeah. Let's see, what else? What else do I like? I Man, like I, the graphic nature of Pessoa. I, yes, too. I was actually, yes. I really like this one a lot. This might be my other. I, I mean, that is very crisp. You could see that from across the room as yep. far as being, you know, a, a selling point. Yeah, so I think I'm going to go with Pessoa and Vivid Memories. And the one I thought for sure that you were going to say, of course it has to be, would be Gutenberg. You didn't look closely enough, did you? Oh, there's a dog. <laughs> yep. No, I didn't. Very important. There's a dog. A dog. I thought for oh, she has a cat for Calico. She'd have to have the dog from Gutenberg. But even with, even now that you've seen the dog, you're still going to stick with Santa Monica and Luna Capital is tied for your number two. Yep, and Calico definitely is and number Calico's one. And Calico's number one. Okay. Well, that was fun. I did like Vivid, too. I mean, it's, so, it's lovely. The art yep. and design is great. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a golden time. Mm -hmm. All right. And there goes Jen. Bye-bye. Okay. For you got a rare proof that she does exist in <laughs> podcast form. Okay, what are your favorite boxes behind you? From Marty wonders, do you prefer high-scoring games or low-scoring games where one point means so much more? I like high-scoring games. Yeah? Yep, I just feel like I've done so much more. It's, it's much more... <laughs> Even though you know it's just a psychological trick. Yeah, but I guess... I, oh. I want to go all the way around this board. That's very satisfying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also... If I if I'm eking out a point here, a point there, then I feel like every single I think those games tend to be more do a little bit on every turn kind of games. And I think I prefer games where you get to do a lot of stuff on okay. each turn. Alright. Alright. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, certainly low scoring games where oh I got a thirteen, it it you're you're not getting as much positive reinforcement throughout. Yeah. Um but honestly I I've I don't think I really have a strong feeling one way or the other, but if I did have to pick one, I would probably choose that because I think it's, I think it's more interesting from a design perspective. The uh, low scoring. Yeah, yeah, doing less with more, or do, doing more with less rather. I mean, um, but I don't, I don't have strong feelings about. It, but it, it, certainly, I think Jen's point that, yeah, you know, just giving you a constant, steady stream of points. Uh, you know, there's no choice about it. Obviously, it triggers dopamine rushes in the brain, so that's kind of hard to beat. What, honey, is your favorite die or dice, as has been discussed in previous episodes? Oh, we bought some. A long well, I mean, time I, ago, I, I, we? It's specifically not what's your favorite color combination that we own, but rather what I, they mean. What size die do you like? Do you like six-sided dice, four-sided dice, twelve-sided, ten-sided? Yeah. I, do you need to see a picture of all of them? 
No, I'm, I'm just thinking it wouldn't be one of the bazillion ones because those are actually hard to, I think, they're not as easy to see what the result is. I'm going to say um, a, a tri-sided dice. A three-sided die? What is that? No, it's pyramid. So it'd yeah, be... that's a four-sided. You mean, you mean one of these? Yeah. Uh, this thing. Yeah, I think that's it. Yep. D4s are your favorite. Can like you them. say why? I mean, these are, I think, pretty widely regarded as everybody's least favorite. Really? Because they don't roll very well, and because if you drop them on the floor and step on them, they're Ooh. the most painful. There's that. <laughs> they are definitely 100% the most painful to step on. But still, you go with it? Um, because, because why? Because you like the pyramid? Yeah, I think I like the design of it. Okay. Uh, do you prefer the type where after it's done, the winning number is on the top, or the original design that existed forever where, oh, it's all the numbers along the bottom? I mean, it's been so oh. long since we've seen a die like that. But that used to be the standard for D4s, that oh, really? the numbers were all on the edges, and when you rolled, it was the number that ringed all the way around on all oh. sides. I don't know why anybody ever thought to do that rather than just put the numbers on top. Uh, very strange. Yeah, I think the, the top number is best. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, I prefer six-side dice. I like cubes. Um, I, 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 I guess I find that... Um, shape most pleasing. And honestly, I love all the little pips. I mean, not that you can't do pips in other stuff, but as soon as you get away from a D6, you find pips start disappearing pretty quickly. And I think you're maybe you should show them that. Maybe that's why I like the D4s. Uh, Jen points out perhaps she likes the uh, four-sided dice because she makes cute little uh, four-sided pyramid-type glass art called Googlies. Googlies. Uh, this is like her uh, one of her more popular lines, I think, because it's one of your most low cost lines, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah so, but all right. They've got so much character. I think that. Yeah, I think that's probably why I like them. Okay. But, okay. But I, you know, what I like about dice in general, what's that, that they're doing these days, is what's all that? the like pretty pearlescent, marbly stuff that they mix the. Like, yeah. I think it's acrylics or resins or something mm -hmm. in there, and they, oh, and the glitter, and there's all sorts of wonderful treatments. It is true. It so is true. we are in a golden age for dice. Ah, yes, a golden dice age. All right, TJ has noticed in gaming with couples that most couples fall into one of two types when they play with others. One, the kind that help each other, even at the expense of themselves, or two, the kind that go after each other, sometimes to the exclusion of other players. Oh. I know you do most of your gaming, just the two of you, but when you do play with others, well, or there's, when we do play with there's others... There's the kind that throws their, their spouse under the bus. Okay, well, let me ask the question first. <laughs> okay, when you do play I just with want others, to add that. When you do play with others, which camp do we fall in? We know, uh, you know, TJ knows we're Care Bears, uh, but if you have two worker placement spots that both work just as well, one hurts your spouse and the other hurts another player, Oh, which one do you choose? Oh, TJ's getting very specific. Wow. Uh, maybe you're, there's an elusive third category. Not, not only that. It hurts me and will benefit everybody else at the table who haven't noticed it okay. yet. Okay. Okay. So, first of all, what Jen is referring to, we'll get back to TJ's very specific, uh, which is a really interesting one. I, I drill down on the specific example he gives. But in general, what Jen is referring to is the fact that often when we are playing with other people, yes. when we all sit down, and it's normally me teaching the rules for the game, as I'm teaching the rules, I will also point out probably more than once or twice that, oh, and by the way, folks, just so you know, um, when you sat down, at this table, you sat down to lose because you're playing against my wife, Jen. 
Um, because she is a shark. No, I'm because not she a is shark. very good. She is a very, very good player. <laughs> Although, interestingly, I think you tend not to do as well with more players. I don't. I, yeah, because I, think I do. don't get enough time to think. Exactly, so because when it's just you and me, you'll happily take upwards of five minutes before to make a move because you know I'm fine. Yeah. Um, but when we're playing with other people, you feel rushed and under a little bit more pressure, and so maybe you can't get quite optimize as much as you would like. So, uh, uh, but I still play that up. I, I just do it kind of for fun <laughs> um, because even even with that, Jen still does very 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 well. And uh, while we're actually playing too, I will sometimes okay, folks. Might as well throw in the towel now. Let's look at what we've done. <laughs> look what we've allowed her to achieve. And it, I think it does kind of get under your skin a little bit. Would you please stop drawing attention to me while I'm doing my thing? You can talk about something. And like, well, what they're doing is meaningless, honey pie, because you're going to destroy us all. That's why I'm pointing you out. Because and it's in all honesty, I mean, I do it in part for fun. Um so I don't know what that... I guess that falls into the... I mean, but we're not going after each other. This is me just, um, you know... Throwing this, me under the bus. This is me playing table mind games, <laughs> which is something that in multiplayer games I tend to do a lot of. I used to play a lot of Small World uh, at a former job I had. And I was not the best player at the table, but I was one of the best people at manipulating the situation into tricking everybody into thinking that I was completely a non-threat. And it sometimes would actually lead to wins because no matter what, I could always convince everybody, well, why would you come after me? I'm, it's a waste of your time. Mm-hmm. Look at what I've achieved. Do you remember the last three moves I made? Let me walk you through them kind of stuff. I mean, I try not to be overbearing about it, but I, I think a little bit of that comes through because Jen's a very easy target because she is a very, very good player. And, um, you know, and I do feel also, usually when we're playing with other people, it's often a game we know and the other people don't. And Jen will give no quarter. Jen's like, okay, I'm out for blood. I'm here to win what? No, matter, no matter what. And I'm like, Okay, honey, but you don't have to crush us all by 200%, um, you know, kind of thing. Um, so that comes out a little bit uh, from me. What would you say? And Jen, uh, she's too busy. I'm just playing the game. Yeah. I mean, so you would not fall into either, I mean, where we go out of our way to help. We certainly don't help each other, unless it's a cooperative game, of course. I mean, we, you know, in all things being equal, oh, I can make a strategic choice to let me do X or Y. Oh, of all things being equal, I'll do the Y because it puts you in a better situation. Yeah. I would not say we do that at all. Oh, I do. You do? Yeah. Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. And then he throws me under the bus. <laughs> what do you What do you mean? Oh, just if there's a way that I can benefit you that doesn't hurt me, mm-hmm. I will do it. Oh, okay. I, I don't do that at all. Um, no, you're watching what I'm doing so that you can counter my moves. I, no, I, I'm watching what everybody's doing so I can counter everybody's move. I pay attention usually... I mean, this is maybe one of my downfalls. I I tend to pay more attention to what everybody else around the table is doing than myself. Oh, that may be. Uh, I, at yeah. any given time, if somebody were to walk up to a game we're playing and they were to ask, hey, what's going on? I could probably tell you more about everybody else's situation than my own. Uh, and that's in part because I'm very, very cognizant of the fact that, okay, as the person who knows the game, it's my job to make sure everybody's having a good time. Mm. And it doesn't really matter if I win or lose as long as everybody else feels like that they... I mean, it, 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 biggest failure is somebody saying, oh, I had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you didn't tell me that or, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> I'm really, really sensitive to that. And I really spend a lot of time. Well, have, 
did you realize there's this, that, and the other thing? You know, I mean, I, I tend to talk more about everybody else's game than my own uh, to help people or to, as Jen says, throw her under the bus because I know she doesn't need the help. Um, and unbeknownst to me this entire time, she's trying to throw me the occasional bone. Wow, TJ, you have really stripped bare an open wound in our relationship, apparently, here on Valentine's Day, uh, you know, February 14th, 2022. Um, all right, so I, I thought it was interesting thing uh his specific thing if you are given a choice one which hurts your spouse and one that hurts another player oh i've definitely hurt the other player really yeah yeah it's interesting i would hurt you because you and want it, the other people to have the better time. exactly yes that is 100 why i would do that okay um because we'll, we'll, we can play the game at home i mean and we've already probably played it or even if we haven't yeah um i i'm more concerned i mean to me it's kind of like hosting duty yeah uh uh you know it's my i don't know why it's my it doesn't have to be my responsibility i guess it kind of does because i'm a, i'm the celebrity at the table and i want i want the game to be memorable for everybody too um so that is interesting you would not even, I mean, all things being equal. You wouldn't even think twice about it. Okay. Well, there well you go. all things being equal, no, I would not think twice about it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, TJ, you've, you've really mined into previously unexplored depths. Thank you. <laughs> okay. And I think, actually, that's a good one to stop at. That is it for gen-related gaming questions. So, at this point, folks, if you're only here for gaming and Rado and uh, industry stuff... You're done. Thanks for listening and watching. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Send questions to questionsarrow.com. Bye-bye. But if you'd like to now switch over to the other side and hear about Jen's and my personal life, hang on. We'll be right back. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, everybody, we are back, continuing on into the personal questions and answers, starting with something from Andrew. Do you have any tips for not getting motion sickness in virtual reality? Wow. Now that I think about it, I've never had, I was on the wonder. Oculus, no, I've never been motion sick. Yeah, Jen is very prone to motion sickness in 3D video games. It oh, was God. very, very Ugh. difficult for her to play EverQuest for as long as she did. I had to, like, build up my anti-sickness muscles yeah i don't know how you do that but i mean you did it's not like you took anti-nausea pills or anything like that no but i think i got a setup where i was able to move my head enough yes. maybe or yeah. something no I've, I've explained this to her in the past and, and she i don't I, <laughs> I remember the first time i told you about yeah. this i think it was on a podcast and you didn't even realize that jen playing everquest as you know as her care you know which, which had a camera mode that was kind of fixed to your character's back um so it was uh you know character relative rather than world relative controls so uh you know the whole camera would pivot all the time as you were walking along and that was very disconcerting or discombobulating for Jen because of the whole inner ear thing and so Jen as she was turning she would just over time just start turning her face she you know she would do this as her care as she was you know rotating in place or whatever uh to and again apparently you didn't realize you were doing it yeah. Because I told you about it years later, that it, it kind of sends a message to the inner ear, you know, equilibrium elements that, oh, yeah, what your brain is interpreting is actually happening to you in some small way. Um, but yeah, I, motion sickness in VR, that's, it must be something completely different because, of course, there is no disconnect. 
or I mean, well, maybe the, there's the VR is right on your eyeballs. Yeah, so. I mean, I was, I mean, I mean, everything that you're seeing visually is 100 percent actually happening to your body. Yeah. Um, now maybe well, I don't but know. we're doing the exercise program. Maybe there's other stuff. Other. Well, VR no, I mean, things. the exercise program is it's the same thing. It's we. I mean, a VR makes you look at a world. Now there are okay. Yes, there are some. I, 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 I don't. I don't know, Andrew, what you're referring to. Um, it seems like, for the most part, VR should be anti-motion sickness because that inner ear prob disconnect goes away. Now, I can imagine maybe somebody who's super hypersensitive, there is going to be a little bit of lag. You know, I mean, like mm. milliseconds worth of lag that my head moves and the gyroscopes in the VR thing register that and um, you know update the visual image. But I mean, I think for maybe so maybe that's happening. In which case, wow, I don't know what to do. But I know there is one thing: a lot of games where you can actually move around independently in a virtual reality environment can be really discombobulating because, like, if, if you imagine you've got your little stick in your hand and you start pushing left, right, up, or down, mm-hmm. and Suddenly, you're, the whole world moves, yeah. and you're like, your body once again is like, this is not happening to me. <laughs> this is freaking me out. And yeah. I have to admit, it hit me the first time when we first got our Oculus, and I was trying a bunch of different demos. And there were some uh, modes in some games that let you just move around like a first-person shooter, and I'm like, I am not moving around. This is really. I mean, I was surprised oh. how hard it hit me like a wall. Um, but. So if that's the kind of thing you're finding, there, there are certain games out there that expect you to move around freely. I almost immediately was able to solve it because when I was playing those games, what I just re—I visualized in my head, uh, because you know there's still a little bit of flight of fancy, is I am not walking around in this environment. I am literally standing on a flying carpet. And as soon as I imagined that was what was happening to me, it's like instantly it's like, oh, okay, yeah, the carpet is moving around. It's not me moving around. And that had a really big impact. It just instantly made those very comfortable for me. I just had to imagine I was on a, a Segway or a flying carpet or something like that. And it was just... So I, I would definitely recommend that if, you, if those are the kind of things you're having problems with. I guess maybe people have a problem too with, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe something to do with the fact that, like you said, they're so close to your eyes um, that maybe that can create some kind of disconnect because your brain knows, your brain knows, hey, the thing you're interacting with is right here. Yeah. But it looks like it's a million miles away, and maybe that creates some kind of... I don't know, because uh, I, I haven't done anything but, um, what is it, Supernatural yeah. in there, so... Oh, well, no, you've done a couple things. You did, like, uh, you did that, that game... The, one of the first things we ever did was you playing with that little virtual pet that walked around, and you could reach down and scratch its ears, and you threw things for it. It was like a 15-minute demo. Oh. And it was like a, a cute little alien pet who would bring stuff to you, and you would... You would you'd, I don't remember. You don't even remember it, but yeah, I mean, you, you played that. You played when we first got it. You played a few things, and then now, okay, I'm done with this. I don't care. And then you eventually got into the supernatural VR exercise program. But anyway, I'm sorry, you were saying. No, that's it. I'm done saying that you have no problems. No, not not in. Um, Never had an issue with it. Not in supernatural. Yeah. I'm really sorry. That's the case. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that happens. But I have to. Admit, I mean, I, I imagine it's more eye related stuff. Is it a case? I know some people who have glasses have problems. And um, you know, and, and make sure that you know that, that that adjustment thing that will keep track of what I mean. Everybody has like slightly oh, different that, eye dis- yeah, space. Yeah, that um, OD thing that you o- can adjust. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're not doing that. I don't maybe know. Maybe people don't even know about that. Yeah, I, it could very well be. Because like you set up the Oculus Quest, so yeah. I wouldn't have known about it. Yep. So maybe maybe that. I, I'm I'm sorry. It's it's too bad because it's so cool when it works. Uh, I'm I'm sorry you you have that. Um, yeah. 
I, I, I fear we were not much help. But maybe that was help for somebody out there. All righty. Uh, next up, Andrew says uh, that they have chickens that they can't winter since they live in Yellowknife, uh, uh, Canada. It's just too cold. Ooh. Does Jen think that harvesting the chickens just for breast meat is wasteful? We tried the dark meat. It was not very good. Oh, um, gosh. What, what, is, what is the dark meat? It's like the thighs and the legs huh. and the back. That's um, our favorite meat. Yeah, when, when, when we have dispatched our chickens, we thought they were all good. I guess... Don't eat it straight. Make it into a stew. Yeah, I, that's what I would do. Is I would make chicken stock with it or chicken soup. Yeah. Because then you can flavor it up with some nice garlic or what what have you, and it it'll be lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So yeah, use the whole bird. You know, it gave us life for you. So the least you can do is you know, um, you know, get the most use out of it. So yeah, definitely try to make soup stocks or soups or stews or what have you. Yeah. Or if, if you're not enjoying it straight. If you can't, if you just aren't going to enjoy it, um, there's lots of people that feed their dogs raw meaty bones. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, you can find a friend who has a dog, um, and give them, give them those bits yeah. that you aren't going to use. And yeah, and, and not, that's not just muscle meat too. That's you know the organs oh, it's the and bones. stuff like that. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, because... I mean, our dogs loved chicken heads. Oh gosh, they love the chicken heads. Yeah. Oh, so boy. I mean, they will eat everything. And for folks who are saying, "Wait a minute, I thought you were never supposed to feed chicken to dogs." Um, that is cooked chicken, right? Yep. When you cook the chicken bones, they change in composition. They become splintery, and that's the problem. But raw... They can splinter going down their throats or whatever. And mess well, them yeah, up. or in the intestines or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and pierce the intestines. And, yeah. Um, but raw bones are absolutely fine. Yeah. It's kind of what they evolved to eat. If yep. they could, they get chicken, they'd eat everything, uh, yep. including all the bones. Yep. Um, yeah, and our dogs love them. Love them. All right. Uh, just as long as they're not cooked. Yeah, actually, when I buy chicken at the store, I will debone it and feed the bones to the dogs. Mm -hmm. So, yep, they love it. All right, um, yeah, got all that marrow and stuff in them. Yeah, so I, raw super, chicken. super raw chicken. Yeah, yeah, yes, of yes, yes. Again, not cooked chicken. Yeah, yeah, not rotisserie chickens or anything. Those are cooked bones. Those yeah. are a big no-no. Yep, yep, yep. All righty, Chris, that was it, I think, from Andrew. Yep, Christian says, "Have you watched the Amazon documentary about Shatner going to space?" We have. Um, actually, can I go back? Oh, we're to, going back to Andrew. Hold on, chat. Because I know technology is moving forward and I get emails from um, companies that have chicken related stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so what they were saying is that um, they're making heat heating pads now for the nest box so that your eggs don't freeze. And it takes only a little bit of um, electricity to keep them, keep the uh, nest box warm enough so that your eggs don't freeze. And I'm just wondering, you could do something like that oh. in your coop for your chickens. Well, yeah, he didn't go into particulars. He just said it's too cold. But he didn't say specifically what. I mean, no. I assume it gets to the point where it can be too cold for the chickens themselves, right? Yes, yes. But I'm just saying that there are heating pad type options out there. Hmm. Um, and that might be something that you could put under their their um, their roost or something. And it would create a little bit of gentle heat that keeps the coop above freezing. Okay. Something like that. So I think that there might be some options for you. You know, it's just, do you want to mess with it? Yeah. And I know that there are different breeds of chickens, too. Some that are better um, at being cold hardy. A lot of it has to do with their combs. If they've got combs that stick up above their heads and wiggle around, those aren't good cold hardy chickens. Oh, really? Because th that will freeze. Oh, wow. The freeze. comb itself. Yeah. Okay. So you need to have um, chickens that don't have combs that stick up that are either they don't have the comb at all or that they're really flat to their head. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I, you could probably look around and, and do some additional... Asking of questions. Jen the chicken lady. I like chickens. All the chicken knowledge. Okay. Christian 
wonders, have we watched the Amazon documentary about um, William Shatner going into space? Yep. Christian says he pulled a rotto and was blubbering throughout in the oh. nicest way possible. Uh, Christian knows there was a lot of pushback about billionaires sending people into space, but seeing and hearing Shatner speak about the experience, um, you know, a Christian believes can only push forward advancement of us as human beings because it was so. I yeah, I he mean, was, we both watched it. He was very touching. Yeah, very yeah. grateful and. Um, introspective about it. It wasn't just some rich guy going up and going, hey, cool, I've been in space Yep, now. yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and I know he, after he had done that, he did lots of interviews all over the place talking about how it, you know, it affected his view of the world and humanity and, you know, it changed him as a person. So, yeah, I, I thought all oh, that was very powerful too. Uh, very jealous. And <laughs> apparently everybody needs to do it. We need to uh, get everybody up there so everybody can have that um, that moment that you know just fundamentally rewires their brain and puts everything in perspective. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, folks. If you if you haven't heard about this and want to see it, uh, yeah, I Christian say it's an Amazon documentary. Uh, it's available for free if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber. Okay, uh, Daniel uh, asks, have I seen Andrew Young's video, John Quarter of Woke Racism? Um, uh, and if so, what are my thoughts? Uh, I, I didn't see it, but I did listen to it on the podcast. And my thoughts are, I really like Andrew Yang. He doesn't get it right every time. Um, I thought the, you know, I mean, not that John Warder doesn't have some interesting points and some interesting data, but I, I think a lot of the core arguments he makes are, are really just ridiculously easy to poke holes in straw men. I mean, like, the, the central thing Andrew is really drawn to, the whole, well, look at these um, dichotomies, this and this. We're supposed to keep both these in the same time? And I just thought, is that your list? Yes, those are all very easy to keep in the same time if you actually think of these as human beings you're dealing with as opposed to dry academic um, stuff. And so I was a bit disappointed that there wasn't really much pushback. I understand. I mean, Andrew is often the target of a lot of online ire, so it's very, very easy for him to say, oh, yeah, th this jibes. But you know what? I mean, Andrew doesn't get everything right. I subscribe to him for the universal basic in income and um, you know uh, uh, you know political reform uh, initiatives. And I, what I really wish is he would um, you know follow up on that episode and get one of the people McWhorter talked about, like uh, Tomachi Coates or something like that, to give a counterpoint. Because if there's one thing I really like about Andrew Yang is he is the first in line to admit when he is wrong, when he screws up. And, um, you know, take on board feedback from other people and not just dogmatic, oh, I said this once, I must dogmatically stick to this for the rest of eternity. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that makes attracts me to him as a politician is he's the first to it. And it's a sign of weakness if you admit that you're wrong, but he does it. And and he he grows and he gets better. So it'd be fantastic uh, to have uh, you know a counterpoint on the show. Maybe he'll do that somewhere down the road. I don't know if you uh, heard that. I haven't somewhere. heard that yeah, one. Yeah. No. Yep. All righty. Uh, Daniel wonders. Hmm. Uh, oh, continuing uh, from previous. Are we playing with our Oculus? If so, what are Jen's favorite programs and which are yours? Really, we have an Oculus, and the only thing that ever gets fired up is Supernatural VR. Uh, I think. We're not as good as we should. We're maybe using it maybe once a week. Um, and we were using it really regularly for a while, but then life got in the way, and we just need to get back into the habit of yep. it. Because it just makes really quality, high-quality exercise so easy yep. and genuinely fun. Yeah, that when that Disney one came out, oh yeah, yeah, I did that one three times that week because mm -hmm. it was so much fun, and I wanted to see a chart of how I improved. Yeah, which again, it is. I believe it's available on your phone. Yeah, I just need to get to it. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, I, it is installed on your phone right now. 
Okay. Yeah, but she's not here. Uh, yeah, so Supernatural VR. Um, and like I said, I think when we first got it, there's some default uh, sample game, if I recall correctly. Or no, maybe it was one you downloaded. It gave you a little virtual pet, and you you, you prepared food for it, and you fed it. And it, it the whole thing lasts 15 minutes, and um, you were playing it, and me and Mom were watching on my phone, and I can't believe you don't remember this at all. But that's the only other thing she's ever done with I it. i got a lot of pets that I feed uh, in real life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I um, really like Pistol Whip. Pistol Whip is fantastic, and I was playing it pretty regularly, and I was really excited when they, um, at some point, I don't know, six, eight months ago, when they uh, did a new update that introduced like storyline modes and whatnot, I thought that was really cool, except you have to play through them from start to finish, and it's like, can I please save my progress? I do not have a half an hour to do this right now. So, and, and actually... It made it hard for me to go back to regular Pistol Whip when I, oh, I can have all this, but I can't save. Maybe they can save your progress by now. I don't know. I really need to go back and look. But these days, pretty much the only thing we ever fire it up for is uh, Supernatural VR, which we highly recommend. Okay. Um, and let's see here. Hold on. Okay. Jen needed to warm up her tea, folks, because <laughs> uh, it's kind of cold in here, actually. And it's raining today. We've had three gorgeous days. The, the, and it's the, raining today. The spring streak is over. Okay. Um, let's see, uh, do, 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 uh, uh, what the heck? I think I must have accidentally deleted something when I was, there we go. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So, uh, that was it for, uh, yeah, bullet. What else? I, I, I thought the, the Vader immortal was cool, but it's not, I'm, it, it was a kind of a neat one time experience. It wasn't that great a game, quite frankly, but it was a cool roller coaster ride of sorts. And yeah, I, I suppose if there were more stuff like that, maybe, but. I don't know, I'm just not that interested. Supernatural VR for us. Gerald says, want to say happy birthday to Jen. Hope she had a good day. Oh. What did we do on your birthday? Oh, I, I got <laughs> No, she did not, actually. <laughs> um, that's okay. We yeah. had a nice day after my birthday. Yeah, she, uh, she I, huffed a lot of glue on her birthday. I didn't mean to, but it was cold in the studio, and so I didn't open the window for ventilation. Yep, while like, she was gluing earring well, stocks stuff, or stuff yeah. like that, yep. and... So later that night, she said, oh, I've got a bit of a headache. Well, you know, this will pass. We're still going to go out and have a nice dinner and all that. And she couldn't finish her nice dinner. And yeah. we had to take it home. And, and Basically, yeah. I crashed and went to bed and felt much better the next morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I uh, just wanted to throw in that when Lance and his family uh, loved watching Survivor, finding out it's Jen's top five show, uh, but also mentioning Australian Survivor. That's Gerard's uh, favorite. Uh, so much happened. Uh, assuming us be talking about last season. The uh, biggest one when the player and the fire and what happened. Uh, that um, numbed me out because I thought player I, that player would have done well. Plus, that was the player I wanted to win. I don't remember. Do you remember? I'm I, recently there was something where they did, they went to making fire and the person you thought would win did not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, Gerard knows I mentioned Survivor... Uh, there have been many Survivor questions on the show. I heard mention we were just starting to watch it again. Uh, thoughts on if you enjoyed that season? Thanks so much, both. Let's see the show. So, uh, you know, the previous, of course, now that was not the first episode of Survivor, Australian Survivor. I have no idea why we started watching that season. Somehow it just came across. I knew it existed, mm. and I just, on the spur of a moment, said, oh, we want that. Let's give this a try. And yeah, we were both transfixed by Australian Survivor. It's, I personally am not a fan of the fact that it's significantly longer. It's like, you know, an average episode is like 
70 minutes mm. um, because it really feels very heavily padded. There's a lot of, let's look at your face and look at the other person, looking at the person and back and forth. And it's like, okay, yeah, these tribal councils, they could easily be half the length. Yeah. Let's let's cut the fat, folks, <laughs> um, and get down to like a American regular survivor tight 42 minutes instead of almost twice as long. And it's not like twice as much stuff happens. So I'm not a fan of that, quite frankly. But uh, on the other hand, I think, wow, they are really pushing the formula. So many really cool challenges and twists and turns that don't feel gimmicky at all, just feel like natural. Like, why haven't they been doing that for five years? (laughs) This particular thing, they just did this episode for the first time ever in the the history of the show. So, uh, yeah, that's all very, very cool. And we're watching the new season now, um, which so far is not as good as the last season, but it's still pretty good. Uh, the one with Sandra, you know, yeah. uh, the Americans amongst the uh, Australians and all of that. What do you think, Penny Pie? Um, yeah, I do think that there's a lot of, uh, like you said, too many, too much significant looking at each other. <laughs> um, and also, what I what I'm seeing this season is that they aren't giving us a real feel for all the cast members. Mm-hmm. They're definitely focusing on. Which is weird, considering they're people. twice as long as the show. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would like to get to know some of these other people. Maybe they're just boring. Maybe they have nothing to say or show or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm kind of... Yeah, anytime they don't really focus on a character, I always assume, oh, that means they're going to go a long ways. And, and once other people them. are gone, then we'll start paying attention to whoever. I know, but I would like to know them earlier as well. Yeah. You know, because it's not like they just start playing the game on day 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's my feedback. It, it is true. But yeah, I, the, I agree. the challenges and stuff are so cool. Yeah. yeah. And the twists. Yep. Every week of Australian Survivor, there's at least one, oh my God, wow. That's either, that is such a cool challenge. What an interesting thing. Or, wow, what a really cool new twist to the game. Yep. Yeah. So whoever is running that show down under, they're doing a great job. Honestly, better than the American. But, I mean, I would like to get American editors. Um, I mean, man, they go so overboard on the music. It's so crazy, over-the-top bombastic. Mm. It's like, okay, you're really overselling this moment. Sorry. (laughs) Um, All right. But still, yeah, we're enjoying it. Griffin uh, wonders, how do we cope with the time period in which I was most busy in the video game industry, working crazy hours, etc.? Both Griffin and his partner are in that phase of their lives, working crazy hours, sometimes on opposite schedules with high burnout, to try their best to make time for each other, are always looking for tips to balance crazy work lives. Uh, that's a hard one. I mean, I was just as supportive as I could possibly be with making food and bringing you dinner and making myself available when you had time. Yeah. Um... But it was it was lonely. It was just a lot of not seeing you. Yeah. I don't know. It was for the greater good, if yeah. you will, because we did come out well from that financially. Yeah. Um, not as well as we could have if you'd stuck around and reaped the real rewards. <laughs> but yeah, but I always tend to. I can't say I can anymore, yeah, and I just yeah. got to beat feet. Well, you right get burnt out, and fair enough, because yeah. you worked so hard. Yeah. Yeah, but on the other hand, you know, I contrast that with we've lived in amazing places and we've done amazing things yeah. so you know and and it's all worked out fine do you think our net worth would be double if i could have if i just would have stayed a couple more years in oregon and then if we just stayed a couple more years in texas and then if we just stayed a couple more years in in uh in guilford probably because i, I you know i'd finish the job stick around for a little boards. bit we'd get like one the first royalty bonus or completion bonus or whatever and like okay i can't stay i gotta go i gotta go my I'm, I'm done with my responsibilities it's out there in the world i can move on 
And then I keep hearing from people, yes, uh, six months later, oh, we just got our second royalty check. It was bigger than the first one. Yeah. And they're like, and just like, <laughs> that is not efficient. <laughs> it's totally inefficient. Like, yep. Yeah, that happens so many times. Well, and you'd put the work in, and you yep. didn't, you know, get the reward. Yeah, well, you got some reward, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. I could have gotten so much more siphon filter uh, royalties, so much more Sims royalties, so much more uh, Fable, Fable 2 royalties. Oh my gosh, those are so huge. Um, and I could have uh, taken a picture of myself holding a BAFTA because I'm a BAFTA award-winning uh, game developer. Wee! But yeah, I always just had to move on. Um, anyway, no, yeah, that's neither here nor there. So you don't have any suggestions? I already said. Um, do your best. I said I was. I made myself available. Well, see, I was the one that had time. So yeah. Well, yeah, because you were just living a normal life. Yeah. Uh, you had your job too. Yeah. Uh, you were still working full time at um. What was the name of the place? Line Design Graphics. No, no. I mean, weren't you still work? I mean. So Jen, uh, a question earlier. Jen is a graphic designer, um, self-taught, or no? You did, you did, you did take some. You took some old school. Here's how things were done yeah. in our, in our, where exact, our grandparents did things. Yeah, with exacto knives with and the, you know actually pasting stuff up with glue. Yeah, in in college, <laughs> and then you were when you were working full time at the jewelry store in downtown Seattle. He had a a cheap little Mac, and he said, "Well, it hey. was one of the first Macs." Yeah, yeah, because his his um, girlfriend was a teacher, so she got. I mean, literally, one of the very first Macs. Really? Wow. I mean, not maybe the first Mac, but the first the design. The first line? Of, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, they've got, well, what are we going to do with this thing? Well, we, we need to make some advertising brochures. Hey, Jen, could you figure this out? Yeah. And you just said it was like a project you had at work when you were not learning how to become a professional jeweler. Yeah. Which was, uh, which we talked about earlier in the episode. Uh, somebody asked about my ring. And so I, oh. I talked about it, how you... Are at your own point. You were a professional jeweler, and or I guess would you say you were an apprentice jeweler? I suppose. Yeah, actually, Paul had offered to send me to um, the God, Gemological Institute of America. Oh right, yes. Mm-hmm. So I could have gotten certified in you know like diamond grading and all yeah. that kind of stuff, but we didn't we didn't quite go there. Yeah. Because I think I worked for him for what three four years something like that. Yeah. Something like that, and um, yeah. it was a great job. Yeah. Really nice man that I worked for. Yeah, and you, so you started out on this one track, but then you ver- once that Mac came in, you're like, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll make some ads and some brochures and handouts for people and things to hang on the wall. I'm like, oh, and I can do this, and I can do that. And, yep. and then, I mean, next thing you know, there were other Business companies, owners. your neighbors, who are like, hey, could you do some of that for us? Yep. And um, Paul's like, well, she's, she's, she's kind of my apprentice for being a jeweler, <laughs> but yeah, okay, we'll do that too. Well, so Paul and I actually made this business called Northwest Marketing. Oh, right, yes. Inc. Oh, I totally forgot about that. And yeah, so yeah, we yeah. went into business for a while because he had tons of business contacts. Exactly, yeah, he knew everybody. He in, knew everybody. In and Seattle. so, yeah, and they just needed, you know, they needed ads or whatever. Yeah, because so... this? This, uh, this was the mid-90s, I guess, the early mid-90s. Yeah, around 90, 91. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, very different world then. It was really nice though because that business that we started together. um, Actually, when I left his employ, I I cashed out my half of the business, and Mm -hmm. it enabled us to buy our that down payment was part of what bought our first house. Yep, yep, yep. That and the uh, royalty or not the royalties, the uh, bonuses bonuses from Nintendo. Nintendo. Yep, yep. The Christmas bonus. Yep, the Christmas bonus. Oh man, such good bonuses as a. As a consumer service rep, Nintendo is crazy. Well, yeah. and a little bit of money back then was a lot of mm-hmm. money to us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think what your bonus is like $1,000 or something. Yep, and we're like, oh! <laughs> we're like, wow, $1,000! Yeah. And it's not to say $1,000 isn't a lot of money now. Of course it is, but you don't, I wouldn't mean to say otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was just like a world of difference to us, though, yeah, at yeah. that time. In our, in our early 20s. Yep. So anyway, yeah, so you basically taught yourself... How to do computer graphic design yep. when the tools were incredibly primitive. Yeah, there was nothing on that at... little tiny black and white monitor. <laughs> yep, 
with with the diskette. Yep. Uh, that fit in there. There was like a cute little mouth. Here, here you go, little fella. Yep. And, uh, and anyway, ultimately, you, uh, you, know, you, you there, there were a lot of things. We were both in flux, and so when you left and became a full time independent graphic designer, did you continue with the customer with the clients you had from Northwest Marketing? Or you no. just started to build up from scratch. No, because remember, I I left and I took a little bit of a break. We just bought the house at that point yeah. and all that. Um, but I did go to work for, I think it was Mac Temps. Oh, that's Remember? right. Yes. And I worked for Microsoft sometimes. And I yep. worked over for, um, well, you worked at Adobe for yep. a while. Yeah. Yeah. So just did temp work, basically. Because mm -hmm. I was also trying to be a Mary Kay consultant. Yep, 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 yep. And that was a lot of hard work. <laughs> yes, it was. Definitely. Uh, yeah. It did not quite pay out as much as you'd hoped. But anyway, ultimately, you transitioned over to doing that full time. Yep. So... And then, so back to the original question, when uh, when we moved down to Bend, and that was the first time I'd really, in my, what, mid-20s at this point, uh, yeah. started to work incredibly hard, where you just wouldn't see me literally for days, or you'd only see me for minutes every three days or something like yeah. that. I, I'm wondering, I mean, when we moved down to Bend, you didn't, you, you had been doing freelance stuff, but then we moved down to Bend, you got a job at a local print shop. Yeah, because I thought, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be nice to have a 9-to-5 job and go yeah. home at the end of the day and not have, you know... All this pressure or stress about taking care of clients and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. So there's this place called Jammies that was run by a man and his wife, or mm -hmm. woman and a man. They yeah. were married. Yeah. And um, I think that went for six or eight months or maybe even a year. That you were there, yeah. That it was there. And they had all sorts of great toys to play with. Huge poster printers and yeah, all sorts of stuff. a real big learning experience for you, too. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I mean, it was all sorts of exciting um, new businesses in town that we would do logos for them and signage and all that stuff. And it was great. But they were having some marital difficulties. Right. And so when they split, the company split. The company closed. Yeah. And they allowed me to put a little sign on the door saying, if you need some graphic design help, call Jennifer. Yeah. And so I set up... Um, because you'd been doing, you know, you you were the, you know, they, they ran the business and you were the... Well, Terry had... Uh, she was she also... She was also a graphic okay, designer, yeah, yeah. yes. But, and he, he was the marketing guy, I yep. guess. Um, but anyway, so they let me put the sign up and then I just set up in my home and... See, here's the thing. This is all interesting to me because at this point, I was... <laughs> I, I didn't even know this woman. I, I never saw her. I was at best tangentially aware of what was going on uh, because I was so knee deep in siphon filter and that was my yeah. entire existence Actually, and Bubsy, Bubsy before that, that yeah, time, yeah 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 because I, I, I crunched super hard on Bubsy as well um, so uh, so ultimately and that's how, that's what really kickstarted your business and you yep. took that business with us to Texas and you kept until you discovered glass and that that was your true calling I mean, if you hadn't done that, you might still be a graphic designer today. You might still be uh, doing logos and websites and all the rest of it. Well, that could be. But yeah. I think actually moving to England is what really put the kibosh on my design yeah. business because the time zones difference was so great. Oh. So you didn't even try to foster I'm trying to European remember. I might have still... No. No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't okay. have any graphic design clients other than you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or occasionally, I guess maybe I did stuff for friends still or whatever. But yeah. no, no. Um, I'd been doing glass for three years by that time, and we moved a ton, literally a ton of glass <laughs> over the ocean with my big kiln and all my stuff. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay, this is my opportunity to do glass. Yeah. And I sold, um, I sold line design graphics to David. Remember and yes, kind yeah, of, you were, I was yeah, done. Yeah, I mean, you were doing pretty well as lines on graphics. I mean, you actually had a, 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 I had a full, one full time business. employee and then another part time employee. And yep, um, yeah. So okay, sorry, uh, sorry, that went way into the weeds, folks. So back to <laughs> uh, so I was kind of curious because uh, you started to say well, you didn't have as much going on, but you did have stuff going on. I mean, because Griffin's point is both he and his partner are yeah. just knee deep in it, and that was not the case for you. 
I mean, when we were in Bend, you were never a workaholic, right? I mean, you you just had, like I said, you were well, jammies. It was a nine to five, and yeah. then when you became your own thing, yeah. it was still regular hours. It wasn't. I think it was. It, it was probably. I don't know. I'm going to say 40 hours a week, but that was also including doing networking events and going to you oh, know right. dinners yeah, and yeah, remember yeah, that yeah, group yeah. I was in and doing chamber of commerce stuff. And I was very involved in the community. And uh -huh. I we bought that greenhouse. We had a lovely big greenhouse. It was probably 20 feet long by about eight feet wide. And it was, oh, it was beautiful in heaven in um, Bend because of course it gets cold there. Yeah. And I had a little greenhouse business where I was selling scented geraniums. Yeah. And propagating scented geraniums. Um, yeah. Jen is always ambitious. So, I mean, so you had a lot of stuff going on too. Yeah. But not as much as me. No. So that's because we, this whole thing started with you saying, well, you know, I, I didn't have as much going on, so I just made time available as I could. And of course I couldn't. Um, right. I'm still just trying to think of. And all it, my time was flexible. Working for myself, I could do client work anytime I wanted. Yeah. Obviously, greenhouse was anytime I wanted. Uh -huh. We had Scuttle at the time. Yeah. Because Jammies is the last time you ever worked for anybody. Other than, you know, just independent clients. Wow. Uh, that was your last. I go to an office from 9 to 5, and I walk yeah. out the door at night. Yeah. Yeah. That was, well, let's see, 4 plus 6 plus 8 plus 3. So that's 21 years ago. Yep. Well, I'm sorry, Griffin. We don't... I, <laughs> I was wondering if maybe this trip down memory lane, well, hopefully it was interesting for folks. I mean, if you're listening to the personal section, presumably you found all that interesting. I actually found some of it interesting myself. Uh, or <laughs> well, stuff I knew that I'd forgotten and yeah. whatnot. Don't want to bore you. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there's nothing applicable. Uh, I mean, for me, there was nothing I could do. I was just so, you know, running to stand still. Uh, it was my would have gone on my tombstone if he died running to stand still uh, if I'd had a heart attack at that point or, or something and uh, yeah it was and I knew it was a problem for Jen I mean I remember we oh. did have an agreement that uh, no matter what was going on I would always come home and have dinner for an hour right but that was in part because I mean home was a three minute drive away yeah and that might have been after how many years of you. Working yeah. too hard and not, and yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point we we said. I mean, at some at point you, you you laid down the law and said, "Okay, look, this something has to change." Yeah. Um, you were very very clear that I mean, you needed a little bit more time with me, and I'm like, "Okay, we'll t we'll do this." Yeah. And I do actually, I probably remember that very clearly because, and I remember specifically three minutes long. I could tell you exactly <laughs> exactly how many long because Chumba Wumba. Yes, because uh, I would get home, we'd have dinner. I'm the whole time. I'm like, I gotta get back to work. There's so much stuff to do, and but I'm, I'm trying to you know just be there and present with Jen and all of that as best I could. But then I you know, I would I would hit the pedal to the metal and drive back to work. And at the same time, I, okay, there's so much I have to do. And I don't want to go back. It was so hard going back because oh. <sighs> This is where I'd rather be, um, you know, home with you. And so to pump myself back up, <laughs> we had an early MP3 player. <laughs> or no, it wasn't an MP3 player. It could play burned. Uh, it was it could play burned CDs or something. Oh, I, yeah. I don't remember what it was. But I had um, uh, Tub Thumping by Chumba Wumba, <laughs> and the drive from home to work was exactly that long. <laughs> and I would drive the whole way, screaming at the top of my lungs. I get knocked down, and I get up again. It'll never keep me down because it was also very hard. You know, at the at the time all this was going as hard as I was working, I thought it was. All a waste of time because we were just going to crash and burn and die. Because Metal Gear, which was our main competition, uh, had been announced and come out, and they're like, oh, "What's the point? Is this just going to be another Bubsy all over again? I'm going to lose my job, but I'll keep working as hard as I can." And so, yeah, literally shouting that song to get myself pumped back up, to get everybody else pumped up, because it was my job to keep everybody moving, it was a tough, tough time. Um, anyway, 
But unfortunately, I'm sorry, Griffin. Uh, I don't know if there's anything in that that's of any use or value, but that's that's where we were. Okay. Griffin then continues. Uh, is very intrigued by the time he said we both played that video game. Uh, oh. Blanking on the name was one yeah. of the Elven Rangers. That would be EverQuest. You said that the peak of playing, it tested your relationship. How so? My partner and I both have gone into phases of probably playing too many video games. What broke your love or addiction for the game? Now, this is interesting. I believe, if I recall correctly, when I mentioned this in passing in a previous podcast, Jen said, what, really? I had no idea. Yeah, because I thought you were happy that I was involved in something and it kind of gave you permission to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I, I think when you were so heavy into EverQuest, I mean, the the thing that was problematic for me, I had started playing EverQuest, you know, it was a work-related thing, and, and Jen said, oh, okay, I'll give this a try. And Jen really got addicted to it. I mean, would you would you go as so far as say that? Is that too strong a word? Hmm. I mean, you you put you put yeah. so much of your life into that game. I did for a while, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really long, hard hours. And, and I just remember being over on the couch thinking... I'm here. <laughs> Why aren't we watching a show together or going for a walk with the dogs or you know anything? Um, what, what, what is going on here? But this was after three years or something of you doing nonstop work. And yeah. So, basically, so I think it, I mean, we, it's, when we were work, it's when we were working on sequels for Side Builder and yeah. it was kind of calm. Yeah. And, and I'd come home and Jen's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm on a 10 hour raid. And just, well, I don't think it was 10 hours. Uh, yeah, I'm exaggerating, but. And uh, and I guess I mean I guess I probably just bottled that and never really complained you about it because Jen had no idea. But yeah, yeah I, I found it it was very disheartening uh, that finally we, we'd made it through and now Jen's um, you know volunteering to and uh, and I and I really kind of resented the game because and, and don't get me wrong I mean I could have gone back in and it's interesting I and you would have been most welcome. I yeah, but I I was so burned out on that game and that game made me angry. There were so many design decisions and you know at the time I was working for Nine Eight Nine Studios or that was our publisher and yeah I mean, so I, I felt like yeah. I, I was kind of pissed off because. I was indirectly connected to the developers of that game. There was a time when there was a press release from 989 Studios saying, we've got the number one video game in the world, Siphon Filter, and we have the number one uh, computer game in the world, EverQuest. And it's like, yeah, we were literally the top of the world. And I felt like, well, okay, we're kind of kissing cousins. I I should be able to have some impact in you because there were so many things that made me so angry about the way EverQuest was developed and run that I eventually said, okay, I, I, I just can't. I can't in good conscience keep playing this game. It just makes me angry. And so I switched over to Asheron's Call, mm. and Jen did not follow. Jen just stayed with her Sylvan Rangers, and by hook or by crook. And eventually you left. And so that's really uh, the question. What, uh, what, 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 what pulled you out of EverQuest? <sighs> because it wasn't me, apparently. I think, I think actually it probably was. Yeah. Because at some point, I, can, I mean, I remember on my 30th birthday, we were in Seattle... And we went somewhere downtown and we... To a, a computer cafe to well, log no, in. No, it wasn't oh, a computer cafe. It was, it was some big gaming palace. Event? No, remember? And it was it was a place in downtown Seattle. Yeah, no, it was in the was, university was, district. It was... Uh, it was I, I forget. It's, it's long gone now. No, oh, it was oh. in downtown Seattle. Yes, that super three-story mega yeah. arcade. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah. I'm sure that's long out of business, too. Probably. but And I remember that we went on my 30th birthday and yeah. did that. In downtown Seattle. And okay. so I was still really enmeshed at that point uh-huh. in it. But it, it, we might have talked about it. And you might have said, well, I'm enjoying Asheron's Call. Or there was even a third one that we were playing. Well, no, I mean, eventually, I mean, I was still playing Asheron's Call with a, with a friend from work, Chris. And he eventually stopped. And uh, at some point or other, you and your best friend from the Elven Rangers, Effo, who is still probably your best friend to this day, yeah, uh, just ultimately came over and joined me. And the three of us played for a while. And then we um, all switched to Dark Age of Camelot for like half a second. 
And I think we tried Anarchy Online for even less time. Mm. And then, I, did did he ever go into World of Warcraft? Or was it just you and me in World of Warcraft? I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. But I think there and was we played just... World of Warcraft for six months, and they were like, okay, we're so burned out on this, we're just yeah. going to stop. I think there was just a gradual decline of yeah. the amount of time we were playing yeah, the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we just both got burned out. Yep. And I don't think it's ever come back. We've no, kind no, of... no. I mean, these, these things still exist, but yeah, I have no interest at all. Well, and part of it was, I think also, I spent my life in front of a computer doing graphic design work. <laughs> so I was sitting in that chair in that position for, you know, eight hours a day working and yeah. then to spend another three or four or five hours at night. Yeah, yeah. Essentially in the same position. I think my body just got tired of being <laughs> in that position. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. But you do not remember any kind of... You know, come to Jesus moment where you're like, I gotta get out of here. Or, no. You know, it's just, it's just, it was I just think... a, a progression. It was just a, an evolution. Well, and I think there was some stuff going on with the Sylvan Rangers as well, mm -hmm. where they were in decline, and there was some just stuff. Yeah, stuff. Weird, rumbly stuff. Yeah, where maybe sometimes our relationship wasn't quite as pristine as I would like it to be. Okay, in in the EverQuest community, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, some stuff. Our our leader was failagund, and sometimes he I, yeah he was probably sixteen year old boy or something. Yep. Who knows? Didn't make the wisest of choices. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I think it was just a, a gradual weaning off. And once you got me out of EverQuest to play Asherons and yep. other, then it just you can only have so much time. Yep. Okay. Uh, thanks for the walk down memory lane, Griffin. Uh, James wonders, have we seen the new Matrix? And if so, what did you think of the video game no. talk at the beginning? Yeah. Well, Jen didn't like it at all, I don't think. I liked it. Uh, my thoughts, I mean, uh, spoiler-free, I thought it was neat. I thought it was very, very clever. Um, you know, I mean, in that it is a, a cool evolution of the ideas. It doesn't just hit the reset button. It's like, hey, here's what happened, and here's what could naturally be an evolution of that. And I thought, you know, the, the additions to the lore of that universe were really, really cool. And I love the meta-commentary, because it's obvious that this wasn't both Wachowskis. Was it Lana or Lily? Whichever Wachowski came back to direct it, clearly did not want to do it. And only did it because if they didn't, they knew somebody else would do it. And so, and, and that message is peppered throughout, uh, you know, and I, and I loved all of that. And, you know, and that's obviously a lot of the video game portion where, look, I mean, whether you like it or not, we're going to make it, we'll make the sequel with or without you. And, um, you know, and so, and obviously that's a parallel. And I, I just love the brazenness of it that, uh, she just, you know, said, well, yeah, the, 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 my corporate masters make me do it. So I'm going to roast them. In digital form, <laughs> and did they even notice? I mean, so I, I loved all of that. So I mean, there's a lot I really like about the movie, and it's just great to see all the uh, the you know, the characters and the actors and all of that. And uh, and I yeah, but my only problem with it is it was really low rent. It was in terms of its. I would assume it's because trying to film under COVID was really restrictive. Mm -hmm. As I understand it, they didn't get the same you know fight choreographers back, um, and it's just the action was not the action was adequate at best and you know so much of what makes makes matrix so important i mean you know it's it's deep storytelling and metaphysical commentary about the reality of of you know the human experience and all that and all that's great and all that stuff's still there and i really appreciate it but it just took such a drop in the overall quality of the other half which is just mind-blowing action and so that kind of was a letdown don't i would be very happy to see if they were to keep going where it would go from here because i think they uh they basically created very fresh and uh 
what's the opposite? Is it fallow or fallow or fertile? They have fresh <laughs> and fertile ground to continue going, which uh, is a minor miracle in itself because, you know, the original Matrix trilogy is a really nice contained, okay, this story is done. And yet they found a way to push it forward. So, yeah, uh, but I, I just wish they had the budget or the time or the personnel that the other half of the equation could have gotten the same amount of attention. And honey, do you have anything to say about the Matrix uh, resurrection? Right. No, not really. I think you encapsulated what I didn't like about it. Okay. All right. What didn't you like about it? I don't know what you didn't like about it. You just didn't want to talk about it at all. You're like, meh. Yeah. Uh, well, thinking back on it, obviously there was a lot of video game stuff at the beginning that yeah. that resonated. And by the way, folks, this isn't spoilers. This is literally spoilers for the first... Five minutes. Yeah, not even five minutes. Everything we're talking about is like, oh, this is this is what happens in the first five minutes of the movie, yeah. is basically what James is asking about. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe so... You know, I just... I didn't think it was a story as well told as the others mm -hmm. and I did like I did like the chemistry between the main characters of course mm -hmm. um I don't know ah, you got nothing to say that's okay, okay. alright Jonathan says question number one I want to thank you for recommending Anchor FM that's not a question Jonathan that's a statement we start a podcast for work and it's awesome oh well, that's great folks I apologize for, for I think, every episode you have to hear me talk for, I think it's only 10 seconds long about how great Anchor, or 30 seconds long, how great Anchor FM is. It is really great. And Jonathan agrees. Um, what is Anchor FM? Anchor FM is the system that I do the podcast with, or that I host the podcast. Uh, I used to do it as this really weird mishmash of stuff where I had to upload the MP3 files to archive.org and then I had to use Google Feed Burner to propagate the message to iTunes and every place else. Oh. Uh, but Anchor is basically, oh, I'm done with the video, audio, I just upload it and say publish and boom, it's done and it just appears everywhere and it's 100% free. Wow. And yeah, it's it's really, really good. And uh, it supports, uh, let's see. Uh, anyway, Jonathan continues. I've talked about embedding ads and how Anchor supports that. Are you saying that other free hosting services don't, or that other services don't provide tools to enable ads? It's the latter. What tools do you use on Anchor? Um, when things might have changed, but when I when I've ultimately switched over to Anchor because it was free. Uh, I, there were other free options, but as far as I knew, none of them had ad options in them. Uh, that if you, if you wanted to have ads, you had to go to one of the other services that you have to pay 50 bucks a month to host your podcast. I'm like, I'm not paying 50 bucks a month to host this podcast or a hundred bucks or whatever. And you, you, I mean, and that's how they make their business. Anchor.fm was the first, and as far as I know, the only one that, oh, not only do we host it for free, but you actually get income off of the ads that appear on this, uh, you know, on your videos. And so, uh, yeah. When you ask what services or what what tools am I using, uh, basically, if, if you're on Anchor, maybe there, there's a tab. When you go in, you know, there's a place where you can upload your videos. There's a place where you can edit your video, your, not videos, your audio, your your episodes. And then there's a button called Money, I believe. It's literally called Money, and you can go on there and you can enable. There's two things you can do. You can just turn on ads, and uh, you can also record ads. And right now, the only record ad I I would love to do more of them, but uh, and you know, it's it, it's it's not great. It makes me a few hundred bucks a month. You know, like 300 bucks a month is what I'm making off Anchor ads. But I'm, a, I'm recording this podcast anyway. And, uh, you know, uh, 300 bucks is... It's, it's not nothing. And it's definitely worth the amount of work I have to do to push a few buttons, record saying how much I like Anchor.fm. And it's genuinely true. I really like Anchor.fm. And so, uh, oh, to your tool. Okay, the main thing is, after you've uploaded your MP3 file, 
you uh they have an online editor that will let you edit bits out or or do or, you know, or in, insert other bits. I mean, that's another cool thing about it that you can actually change your podcast if you realize you made a mistake, let's say. Um you can use that. Basically, I just go in and I, I create a couple of splits and then um I go back to the previous page and uh insert an ad. And it it takes care of the rest. It does all that stuff for me. And like I said, I'm making a few hundred bucks a month doing it. And I'm very, very happy to do it. It uh, makes Jen feel much more comfortable about coming back to do this every month. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's it. It's 100% just built in. I'm not using anything external. I record the podcast. Nowadays, I record the podcast in OBS, so I get the video for YouTube. I strip the audio out. I edit it together in Audacity, which is free software. OBS is also free software. And then I upload it to Anchor.fm, which is free. That's the beautiful thing about this. I mean, you can have a successful podcast 100% for free, thanks to Anchor. And uh, anyway, so yeah, that's what I do. Um, Jonathan, if you if you need more help, I guess write to me again, and I'll. I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward. The stuff. Okay. And anyway, continuing, uh, related podcasting. Have I ever used Descript? I don't even know what that is. That means nothing to me. If you haven't or are looking to edit your content, it's amazing. You can set it to remove filler words. Ooh, like ahs and ums. It transcripts your audio. You can cut and text in the transcript and edits your. Wow. The audio is seen. Uh, right, okay. So you ask, uh, Jonathan asks, if I haven't used a script, what am I using for editing? Uh, very little editing. Uh, basically, what little I do, like I said, I just strip the whole thing out of the video files from OBS. I use, what is it? Audacity, basically, to turn it into a. In, in, no, I, I, uh, what's it? I, I, to, to reduce the file size, because it used to be my videos were my, my, my episodes were like 300 megs because they were in stereo and they were in high bit rates, and so I just use Audacity to put it into mono, knock it down to a low um, uh, bit rate, so the files are less than 100 megs for people to download on their phones and whatnot, and then I just upload it, and then I do a little bit of editing on the site to basically put in inserts where ads could go if the system decides to throw ads in. I don't know anything about Descript, but getting rid of ums and ahs, that's freaking cool. And you say it does that for videos as well? Wow. You can't see it, folks, but um, the everything I'm doing, I've got a monitor right in front of me, and with a little piece of thumbtack right in the middle of my monitor is the word um to remind me to stop saying um all the time. And it's really kind of annoying because often it blocks my view of what I'm actually trying to film or what have you. But that's really interesting. I've, I've, I've not heard of Descript. I'm definitely going to look into it now. Thank you, Jonathan. Question three. Uh, uh, and during which time, Jen is silently coming back into the room. She went to refresh her tea because she knew she wasn't going to have anything to say about any of this. <laughs> Jonathan uh, ha- hasn't been listening for a while. Working uh, has Im- at home has imputed the uh, podcast commute listening. I totally understand that. That makes I don't know how people have time to listen to the podcast that they do. Uh, I it's, don't. It's, it's amazing to me. I mean, but you're right. I guess a big part of it is is commute to the office. All right. So uh, anyway, Jonathan, if I've already answered, uh, apologies, but trying to catch up. Curious if Coast to Coast ended. Oh, not it's Coast to Coast. It was Corner to Corner, uh, the show that I was doing with Tom Vassell. Did it end because of differing opinions on COVID? For instance, no mask on Dice Tower crew and filming, uh, or had it run its course? I'm going to assume it had run its course. Here's the behind the scenes, folks. I mean, every week, or I think it got to where we were doing it every other week. Every two weeks, uh, whatever day it was, was it Tuesday, Monday? I honestly don't remember when. I just knew I had to be there at whatever time it was, 10 o'clock, noon, something like that. I had to be there 15 minutes early and log in so that uh, Tom Tom did everything. 
And, you know, what are we talking about this week, Tom? What's going on, Tom? I, I, all I had to do was just show up for a little bit of time. I mean, to be fair, I was doing it for free. Uh, so it's not like I was getting paid to do it. So, uh, and, you know, unlike, you know, Ruel, Ruel gets paid for appearing on uh, the R&R show. But I was not getting paid for being on Corner Corner. And that's okay. I, I, I had no complaints. I was totally fine doing it. And then whatever it was, the I think it was the last episode of the year, and we ultimately did a, well, hey, let's just do a recap of the, of the previous year. And 15 minutes before we start, like always, I got on, and Tom said, hey, so how do you feel about this being the last episode? Like, what? Okay. That's fine. So Tom had just decided, yeah, you know what, let's just go on ahead and take a pass. And, uh, yeah, I, he never said why. I never asked. I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, you wonder, I mean, the, the stuff about masks, that, if I recall correctly, that came later. That was um, in the new year when I kind of went on a brief crusade saying, you know, not just Tom, but hey, everybody in the industry, you know how every other YouTube channel of any note, everybody appears wearing masks? How about we wear masks too? Because we often uh, are people from different households and we all sit down at the same table and we play games together. Your corridor crew, they're doing it and, and, and they, they have millions of views. How about we do the same thing? And so I, I, I mentioned that, uh, is what you're referring to. As far as I know, um, nothing ever really came of that. I mean, I, I know I mean, Jen and I ultimately did wear masks in a video together. We did. And it was one of my most hated, despised videos of all time. Mm. It got so many down thumbs, and it uh, really didn't do as well as other ones because it just made people so angry. And so I totally understand why Tom's not doing it because Tom doesn't want to make people angry. I mean, I've taken such a huge hit over the last two years for taking the stances I've taken. But that's just what I feel like I need to do. I, and I, I don't begrudge anybody for saying, well, no, i got to feed my family. And I've got a, an entire crew who rely, whose income rely on me being able to be successful at this channel. So, I, again, I, I, you know, Tom and I have never talked about this at all. We saw each other at, uh, at a board game geek con uh, last year. Everything seemed fine. So as far as I know, there's no beef or anything, if that's what you're suggesting. So, no, I, I, think, I think Tom had just decided, you know what, I've done this enough. I think at one point he had decided, hey, you know what, let's go through the entire catalog of all mechanisms, and that'll be where we end. And, you know, we're, we're already doing it for six or eight months, and we're only to the letter D. He realized, eh, maybe this is going to take a bit longer than I thought. <laughs> and maybe, I, you know, it's the end of the year, maybe I should do some new stuff. As far as I know, that's why it ended. But, I, like I said, I mean, just Tom just showed up that morning and said, you know what, man, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, that's fine. All right. Uh, let's see here. And, um, right. Oh, and then, uh, uh, you know, Jonathan ends with, I truly appreciate you and Jen actually practicing your belief in public rather than trying to keep your heads down and trying to avoid controversy. I also appreciate that you've owned your flaws. I definitely have. And Jonathan, we all have them. And they've tried to make yourself better and grow. Thank you, Jonathan. I really yes, appreciate yes. it. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate that. Okay, moving on to Kirk. Kirk recently recounted a story... Or I recently recounted a story of a day's the video game industry where I took a trip to Japan to pitch a project. And as I exited the building, I realized I'd committed a breach of Japanese etiquette, which may or may not have been the reason for the project's failure. I don't remember that part. You, well, I wasn't you, there, you, of course. But I don't you know the story, right? No, apparently not. You don't know this story. You know this story. Remind me. You have forgotten this story. All right. Uh, I, for, I forget. I, I think this was on an episode of the R&R, so maybe not everybody's heard it. Just long story short, Siphon Filter had been a big hit, and we're like, hey, we're going to Japan. We're going to go to the, Jap the Sony Japan offices, and we're going to pitch the game because we think it could succeed over there, too. And uh, Kid, 
Lead designer, Richard, because Rado didn't exist yet. You're coming with us, and you're going to do the pitch, because you're the best pitcher amongst all of us. And hey, and hey, uh, you're going to have a week in Japan, and uh, yeah, okay, your wife can come too, but uh, we're not going to pay for her flight. Yeah. So we paid for your flight, but you, we, we basically got a, a week uh, trip to Tokyo. It was one of the coolest things that ever happened yeah, to us. It was really cool. It was so amazing. And it was so young in our careers, too. I mean, oh, it was yeah, a yeah. huge thing. I was, what, 28, something like that, maybe? I must have been. Well, we got married in, when we were 21. Maybe not even 28 then? I think yeah, anyway. Maybe 26, maybe. Yeah. So, it was I, the reason we got our uh, passports. Yeah. So, um, the, the story is, uh, the reason we're there is so that I can uh, go to this very high-powered uh, executive meeting to pitch the game and what makes it special and all that. And I was drilled, trained, about proper mating etiquette in Japan. Oh, with the business card. She, she knows this story. Ah. Yes. And so you're, you're taught about how uh, there's like a ritual about um, handing out business cards and receiving business cards from other. And you're supposed to do all these things and look at the card and look at the person and look at the card again. And then you're supposed to like do a very small, imperceptive bow. Uh, and like all, and so I was literally drilled on all this stuff. And I was nervous about it going in because I knew a lot was riding on this. And oh, and then um, when you sit down to the table, all the business cards you've collected from everybody as part of this opening ritual, you're supposed to lay out on the table in front of you, uh, positioned so that, oh, the person over to my left, I put their card to my left. And it's like, it's actually, it makes sense. It's, oh, it's really smart. It's cool. very efficient. So basically, you have a little map. Of yeah, you have a little map of table. everybody around the table right nice. in front of you. And so, and I did all of it. I nailed it. And I, I think I did a pretty good job pitching the game, and everything was fine. And we get up and we leave. And as Kirk points out, we get out to the street, and uh, Connie, who is our executive producer, said, Right, okay, so everybody got your business cards? And I'm like, Business cards? I had left that little row of business cards on the table. Like you couldn't care less. Like I could care less about any of these people. And it was a grave insult. It was the worst thing I could have possibly done. And you insulted done. all of them at Every one time. Every single one of them. Because if you were to go back in that room, you'd see, oh, everybody else took their cards, except for well, who, who sat there? Who sat in that space <laughs> and just got up and walked away? So um, I'm not saying that caused Siphon Filter not to get published by our parent company. It ultimately got picked up by some other third-party publisher. But our parent company didn't publish it. Maybe, maybe not. Um, anyway, though. So um, that was the story for folks who hadn't heard it. Okay. Uh, as I exited the building and realized I'd committed a breach of Japanese etiquette, which may or may not have been the reason for the project's failure. Lost in Translation, the movie with uh, Bill Murray, is one of Kirk's favorite movies. I was wondering if anything in that movie sparked memories of your experiences in Japan. Here's the deal. I know I've seen it, but I don't remember anything about that movie at all. The only thing I dimly recall is him filming the cognac commercial he was there to do or something like that. So I'm afraid, Kirk, I, I, I don't remember. I, I genuinely don't remember. But I do really do need to watch that movie again someday. Because... Uh, I, I honestly don't remember it being good, but everybody says it's so good. Anyway, though, on the topic of movies, about a year ago, I talked about Run, Lower, Run. And I mentioned how much I enjoyed the soundtrack. Yes, I can almost still hear it in my head to this day. Uh, Kirk thought it would be interesting to mention that the composer is also the writer and director of the movie, Tom Twyker, which I did not know. He wrote and directed and composed the score for Princess and the Warrior. It's one of Kirk's favorites and was one of the favorite scores. And uh, Kirk suggests I check it out. You're right. I'm not. I don't know anything about Princess and the Warrior, but I will check it out because yeah, Run Little Run was fantastic. Uh, all right. Jen often talks about the books she is reading. I was wondering if she'd ever read uh, Haruki uh, Murukami. Uh, it's one of Kirk's all-time favorite authors, and thought Jen might enjoy it. Suggests the novella Sputnik Sweetheart. Hmm. All right. So uh, I'll have to look that up. Okay. Um, these are recommendations for everybody, folks. 
Now, on to the heavier topic. Uh, there was a conversation on a recent podcast about divorce in general, and more specifically, the effects it might have had on our lives. Uh, Jen, specifically, because she was a child of divorce. I once was discussing a topic with a friend who was getting divorced and felt that she was failing her children by not sticking it out, at least until they left the house and flew, flew the coop. When a divorce, while divorce is not ideal for children, I suggested staying in a broken relationship provides a false model to your children about what a healthy relationship looks like. Our parents are our first and most important role models, and we often mirror their behavior, their relationships in our own. Getting a divorce does not uh, give your children a model for a healthy relationship, but it does spell out that the one uh, you've been living is not that. Uh, now they have a head start on seeking healthier models. And okay, okay, there was no question in there, but I mean, obviously, I was. Do you have anything to say about that, Honey Pie? Since it is an offshoot, um, you know, do you feel? I mean, I know, I believe. Being a child from divorce did definitely have a huge impact on you because you have often told me about how, you know, it instilled in you a desire to find someone who puts you first, right? Yep. Or you want to talk about that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, it, it did have a, a long-term impact on you. And, and to be fair, I mean, your parents did their absolute best. Oh, they did. Yeah. yeah you talked about, when we talked about this last time, how your parents never... Never backstabbed or bitched exactly. about each other. Yep. And, yeah. and made it clear to you and your sister that this was not about you and it's just something that happens. Yep. So, um, do you, I mean, yeah, I mean, and so, I mean, one would argue that, I mean, you came out of it as well as you could. Yeah. And, um, I mean, obviously you, you got yourself a very healthy relationship, but it did put you in a particular mindset yeah. when you were starting at a very relatively young age yep. in your, you know, your late teens and early twenties. Uh, that, you know, basically led you to me. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. So it, it certainly had an impact, but you probably don't want to go any deeper than that. I, okay. No, I'm good. I think I've said enough. Okay. Uh, but how about we close, Kirk says, with something lighter. We have often talked about the early days of our relationship, uh, and uh, Kirk is not the only one who enjoys seeing a picture or two, perhaps on Instagram of our college days. Oh. Uh, Jen is just, what, what? What does that make you think of? Well, talking about the Sony trip to, to Japan, I remember taking a picture of you with a Sony building looming in the background. I'll dig that up. Okay. And uh, you can post it somewhere. How hard is it to dig it up? And we could literally put it, show them right here. Right okay, now. well, why don't you pause right, and we'll find I'm going to pause. We're going to find some old uh, pictures from the 90s. It's going to be all 90s all day. Hold on, we'll be right back. Okay, we dug deep into the archives and we found a few. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because, you know, this is all back from, the, you know, the, the late 80s. Or we, we no. met in what? We met 88. in 89. It 80, was 88 or 89. Yeah, 88. And, um, and in the early and mid-90s. And the thing is, uh, folks may not remember, we didn't all have phones that we carried with us everywhere in our pockets then. <laughs> yep. So we don't have very many pictures from back in that time. Um, I remember I had bought you a, uh, a for a birthday camera. present at yeah. one point. Oh, I don't think I bought it until we were in Texas. This, I mean, I, I got, I think it was a Sony camera. It was about this big, about the size of a credit card, but like, I don't know, a half an inch thick. And the reason I bought it was because it was the one I could find. And it was hard to actually even find things and do searches for this back in the day. <laughs> they had the fastest turn on to be able to take a picture. Yep. You know, because it just like, and you could put, take a picture like in, in like 1.5 seconds or something like that. Yeah. And we used that thing for uh, years, years time. and years and years. Um, you know, because smartphones just weren't it. Although we were looking for these, we've actually found an entire directory just called from Treo, from our old Treo <laughs> smartphones, T-R-E-O, for people who remember those. 
those. Um, but anyway, so we found a few. These were, um, let's see. I was wondering, should we actually go find like high school pictures? But we don't have well, any of those digitally. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know. We maybe somewhere have our high school yearbooks. But so, uh, let's see. First of all, here is the earliest picture we can find of the two of us. Uh, and it was the day we were married. Yep. And we do not have it in digital form. Nope. Because we only have real, actual photos uh, that were, you know, developed it, it, with chemicals and stuff like that. And these are the only two copies of these in existence. There we are. Oh, and I need to focus. Don't worry. It's a, you can focus a bit better than that. There we are. Um, that's uh, me and Jen at, what, 22, what? 21 to 21? 21 to 22? Yeah, 21. And then here's the other one. Um, and, uh, yeah, very different time and uh, very different Jen. She was definitely going through a Molly Ringwald uh, <laughs> phase. <laughs> And that tie you see me wearing is a leather tie. It is the only, no, it's not the only tie I've ever owned, but the only tie I've ever been able to tie myself. Because it's literally, it's just like, it's a piece of, of leather. I, I don't know if it was faux leather or not, but um, it had a zipper on it. Yeah. And you just zipped it up and boom, it was done. And I loved it because if I ever had to wear a tie, I, I, I to this day, I do not know how to wear a tie. So this was that we were actually, we um, set our vows at the end of this dock. And you can't tell, but this dock was completely covered with bird crap. No, well, you can kind of see a little bit of bird poop on there. And that second picture <laughs> is me carrying Jen off of the dock <laughs> so that her dress doesn't pick up any of the bird crap. No, it was because I was wearing heels and it was a dock and I... You could have oh, okay. All right. heels I, I recall it being because you need to avoid all the bird crap. And then you're like, oh, I, I, I'll have to carry her through this. Uh, <laughs> and it's interesting. I mean, so this is at a lake uh, in Kirkland, I think. Redmond. Uh, Redmond that has uh, a bunch of condominiums all around it. And so there were some people up on like a third story condominium who were just like, they were just out enjoying their weekend. And they saw what was going on because we didn't have a permit or anything. We just went, oh, this is a nice place. This was my mom's. Where she yeah, was living. She, yeah, she lived in these condominiums as well, yeah. and it just had this really awesome lake. But it's not like we got permission. It was just me, yeah. you, um, my mom, your mom, my, my, guess my sister. dad, your sister, my brother. Was my dad there? I don't remember him being there. God, how could he not have been there? But I don't remember him being there at all. But I mean, well, whatever. Uh, I actually, I don't remember your mom being there. I think it was my mom and my sister. You're right. Maybe my, maybe my, maybe my parents were there. Anyway, it was it was all very um, and the the lady Sherry who married us, who the, was a friend of your mom, yep, and who was a uh, minister uh, you know, in, in some uh, church that your mom was involved with. Uh, and so anyway, yeah, these people they uh, they were watching and they were oh my gosh, what were we watching? And as we were as I was carrying Jen back <laughs> off the dock, they had run back into the house and they found a box of rice and were throwing rice at us, <laughs> but they were too far away and the rice couldn't reach us, yeah. as I recall. But the ducks liked it. But yeah, but and the, yeah, the ducks very much. Although no, actually, aren't you? You're not supposed to give rice to ducks, are you? Probably not uncooked rice, which undoubtedly which is probably that was. what it was. Yeah, but so. I mean that was. Well, 31 years ago. 31 years ago, yep. So that's um, that's the day, the happiest day of our lives. Um, but anyway, and then, so we jump forward a few years because, again, we, it, there, there's very little photographic evidence of this time in our lives mm. because we just didn't take pictures. But we found a few, and they were from the Jap Japan trip. So let me scroll down a little bit. Um, or, or no, this was actually from a trip to uh, Vegas. No. This is at the Bellagio in Vegas, isn't it? No. Or is this is this, this Japan? This is at that mall. Remember that had the beautiful painting. Yeah, which on is the, the Bellagio of Vegas. This is the Bellagio in Vegas. I don't and there's think another so. picture from this time where I'm eating my first time I ever went to Cold Stone Creamery. Do you think? So? I guarantee you, yeah. This is oh. the Bellagio, and if we pan actually, the camera up, we might see my hair is different in the next picture. Yeah. In which case, it might be. But I thought that was the picture from that mall that we went to. 
Yes, the Bellagio in Vegas. I know, but you remember the mall that we went to in Tokyo? <gasps> oh my gosh, you're they right. those amazing painted yes. ceilings. Well, I mean, that's what the Bellagio in Vegas does as well. I they also have a painted yes. ceiling. You're right. I think you're right, actually. I, I take it back. I'm conflating these two things. Yeah. Because if you've ever been to the Ve Bellagio in Vegas, it, it like recreates the, uh, the, the, the streets of Venice, the canals yeah. of Venice, and they painted the ceiling to be like a sunny day. And yeah, this was a gigantic mall it's somewhere in Tokyo that was the same thing. Uh, but anyway, so that's us. Uh, happily married, much younger. Look at those chipmunk cheeks you got. Yep, look at that dark, dark hair I've look got. Look at all that hair. Um, you know, and I've uh, always cut your hair. Yep, yeah, yeah. That, that's the reason Jen fell in love with me is because uh, we were just friends. And uh, she, said, you know what, your, your hair's a mess. I'm gonna cut your hair. And she said she fell in love with me as the true me was revealed. Because up until then, my mom had always cut my hair for my entire life, and she was one step removed from just putting a bowl over my head, going snip, 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 snip. <laughs> yep. And I had a very mop top uh, type he aesthetic. Was extremely scruffy. Yeah, very scruffy. Um, and I, I, love, I, I still am scruffy to this day. I obviously. loved your sense of humor all the time, but when your handsomeness came out, oh, I uh, guess that you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm so chunky. I'm so plump. I had no idea. I, I, I think... I'm, I'm sure I weighed a lot less then. I must. I mean, this was back when I weighed like 180, 190 pounds. But no, I, I, I feel then. like chubby-cheeked. Uh, but anyway. Uh, and um, all right, so anyway. And then this oh. was a shot... I think, yeah. No, that's the same here. Yep, yep, yep. That's the same. So this is a shot I took of Jen. <laughs> um, and Jen was very disappointed with this shot. Because uh, I'm... At the time, I was not very good at uh, photo composition. She's like, what, are you trying to say I'm an airhead? That things just go in one ear and come out the other? What is the point here? And I'm like, I didn't even notice that. I just thought it was a cool picture of a frog. Um, and, but, so that, and then, oh, same boots, too. Yep, definitely. Yep, yeah, okay, yeah, it's from Japan the trip. You're, you're entirely right, yep. And uh, then uh, this is me. Either right before or right after we went in for the big meeting. And apparently it's reversed because Sony is not backwards in real life. But there I am. Look how chubby I am. Yep. I guess, no, yeah, you're right. I mean, because this was after siphon filter, and I had started putting on weight at that point. Yeah. I was... You were stress eating as yeah, well. Yeah. Before, um, you know, when we still lived in Seattle, I was super slim and super skinny. And I, so I was starting to get over... I was probably over 200 at this point. Uh, I mean, I th ultimately, I think the highest I ever got was when I was at Lionhead, and I must have gotten up to almost 250 pounds oh, uh, wow. at, at the height of... Yeah, and, and like Jen said, it was just 100% stress eating all the time. Um, you know, and just, they had tons of crap for you yeah, to eat there. In video game industry, you'll never go hungry, but you'll never eat anything other than pizza and um, you know, takeout and junk food and candy and cookies just 24-7. Uh, and so, yeah, I was just putting on weight, 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 weight. Yeah, so I'm probably heavier here than I am now. Yeah. Uh, where I'm kind of hovering around 215. I really need to drop another 10. But I'm just, I do not have the... Uh... So anyway, so there's a, a few shots. For, so what am I? I'm like 26, 27 in I this think, picture probably? I think maybe Same 25. Yep. Actually, we could maybe look back and see when the date... If, if... No, because these are pulled off of a cloud thing. So that, or, or yeah, maybe the date is embedded. Hold on. Nope, apparently these are old enough that cameras did not embed metadata in them indicating when or where they were taken or anything like I that. I wonder if I've so got old. our passports still somewhere from... No, you, remember, you always have to throw your passport away, don't you? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, anyway so that's us from another time in our, er, our mid-20s. And then this is our early 20s. Uh, you can see, yeah, yeah, you can see, I'm much slimmer there. <laughs> yes. I'm... Basically a so, rail back then. I was I was in reasonably I, good shape. Well, you're in great shape. Oh, look at this picture. You're in fantastic shape. Uh, and you're still in great shape, honey pie. You're very healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. well that was fun. Right? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. And I'm sorry, there's just not many pictures back then. I mean, if, if, if we met now, if we were in our 20s now, I mean, oh, yeah, you know, of course, have, our, our lives We'd are, be all over Instagram with everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but this is a different time. And um, I got a few grainy photos from high school yearbooks and then a few pictures of us as little kids, um, which, again, Actually, we only have, we have physical copies. We don't have digital versions of yeah. any of them. Was that what you were saying? I, I know I've got that picture of you and me and Scuttle on the couch. I can go get that. You want to grab? All right, hold on. We'll pause. We got one more picture for you, folks. We'll be right back. Okay, we got one more, folks. Uh, Jen's one of her favorite pictures of us that ever existed, and you can barely make it out on the back of the actual film uh, because it's <laughs> you know it's developed the, the film paper that this. Um, we're pretty sure this says June nineteen ninety four. It's pretty much completely gone. Uh, so this was us. And, uh, yeah, we're married at this point. That was and, the brown couch your parents gave us. Yep. And uh, this was when we lived in Seattle. That's Scuttle, our, the first dog we got together. I assume probably your sister took this picture when she was living with us probably at one point. Maybe. I mean, who would have taken this picture? Who had cameras? Who walked around with cameras and took pictures? It was probably it, it, Becky to yeah. catch us in a moment like that. Yeah, because yeah, that's obviously a very spontaneous moment. Probably we're waiting to watch Friends. Or Star Trek Next Generation or something like that, because, uh, you know, when she lived with us, we'd all three, you know, get on the couch and watch shows together. Yeah, but, and Scuttle's the only one on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, uh, that was back when I was young and handsome, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we both, that was, that was our, our early movie star, uh, like, we could have pulled it off, we were both great looking. We were, we were a good looking couple of kids. Uh, and the dog's the best, yeah. You know, Scuttle was a cutie pie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, contrast and compare. Well, let's see if I can. There you go. I don't know what you think. Uh, although, I mean, I, actually, I mean, the lighting, I, I really need to work on my lighting. Although, I mean, I, I, it, would, you, would you say this is actually uh, true to my skin color right now? You look lighter on screen. Than uh, it's do. a bit lighter on screen? Yeah. Then uh, oh, actually, I am a little bit darker. Yeah, you look IRL. paler. Yeah. yeah. I think I probably cranked them up so that the boxes pop more, quite frankly. I put the boxes above me. Um... So you're saying, should I, should we adjust this so that they actually see the real skin color? Oh, folks, we'll be right back. We're going to do some color correction. Okay. And I apologize to everybody listening to this. So you can, uh, there's a link down in the show notes of this podcast <laughs> if you want to go and look at this on YouTube and see what we're talking about. Okay, we bumped up the saturation just a bit. Although I think that's making this box hotter than it is in real life. I guess that's not too far off. So I guess this is as, as close as we could do in 30 seconds to what I look like now as opposed to 1990-whatever. <laughs> and, and I mean, all that you can see the wrinkles and the shadows. I mean, you can see the, the beginnings of shadows under my eyes back then. But I mean, I think this is just a really dim picture. So because I've always had these dark shadows under my eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, there was time zone difference when we did to Tokyo and <clears throat> yeah, all that. And I'm probably ten pounds heavier in that picture, etc., from all the junk food that I ate. But anyway, folks, uh, sorry, we have gone way off topic. <laughs> uh, I forgot who asked any of this stuff. But let's move on. Hopefully, folks found that interesting or entertaining. Marty Honeypie asks, how do our chickens do in winter? That's a nice uh, follow-on from the earlier question. Um, they do absolutely fine. Uh, yeah. It's not very cold here, relatively. Um, and they do fine. When it snows, they go, oh my God, and freak out because there is just white expanse. And they can't do depth perception on just white. Yeah. So they do freak out about that. So I go out what and kind of... What do you kinda... mean? So you're saying that they feel like the world has disappeared and they look at the white as a void that they can't stand on? Or what yeah, because there's no, there's no depth perception. There's mm -hmm. no, like, okay, there's a rock and there's some dirt yeah. and whatever. So I usually go out and sweep the um, snow off of 
they have kind of a decking area outside of their coop door. Mm -hmm. And then that gives them some sense of where things are. Because otherwise, they just can't see anything. It's all, it's a whiteout for them. Wow. So other than that, and then once, I do have a couple of the younger chickens that we got um, last, what, fall, are a bit more adventurous. So yes. once a chicken sees another chicken out there, and then there's little chicken prints in the snow or whatever, then they can, they, I think there's some depth perception available from that. Yeah. And then they'll they'll start to wander out, but um, they don't like the snow. Mm. But they do better with it as long as there's some. I could sprinkle some sawdust or something on it too, and that would help. Mm. Okay. And, all right. And then follow up. How does the routine change up so they're not cooped up all the time? Well, if I get out there and, and create a path for them, then they'll just do their normal stuff. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, they've got lots of We do not have cooped up chickens. I mean, we, we've got chickens with a lot of space to roam and wander and peck and hunt and scratch. Yep. All the stuff they do Flap all Flap about. Yep. Yep. Okay, okay. Nelson says, uh, did you have some time, weeks, months, years, between leaving the video game industry and starting as a YouTuber? And if so, what were you doing during that time? Or um, what were you doing to help find what to do next? It was very... Less than a week. I mean, I, I <laughs> less than a so week. So I, I left no, Splash Damage. I left can't... Splash Damage in January, mm. and I, my first video was up by March. So and I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure or I, I could probably look up exactly when I left Splash Damage. I know, or, or it was maybe like the end of January. Were you doing any videos before you left? No, no. On the uh, I, I had uploaded a couple of videos to YouTube, a video of Tula and um, and Dobby playing oh, in the snow, yeah. and I had done a few... Look, um, the person who is posting on this forum who says he's Richard Ham, the developer of this game, I am appearing on video saying that that's me. So I had to do a couple of videos. I think those still exist if you go to the channel and sort by date, or maybe I got rid of those old um, ones, and maybe the first thing on the... What is the first thing on the channel now? Now I'm curious. If I go to... Rotto.com, and I go to my YouTube channel, thank you, and I uh, go to videos, and I sort by date, oldest, the oldest video, oh, it's Aww. just the snow beagles, yep. Um, so, yeah, the first video on YouTube was April 2nd, which I, I, I believe I was working on them in March, and... Uh, how can I look up? What was the last day I was at Splash Damage? I do not know. I'm really curious about this now. Do I still have emails from that time? Okay, folks, we're going to pause again to do some more, some more investigation because I am curious. It's all, um, you know, Wayback Machine today. <laughs> okay, so it looks like it was about sometime in the middle of January was my last day at Splash Damage. And by, oh, actually, oh, more research. We are back. Okay, one dug it up. The first video was uploaded not to YouTube in April, but to Vimeo on March 27th. Because at the time, you couldn't upload videos to YouTube that were longer than 10 minutes unless you had special permission. So I had to <laughs> upload my first video to Vimeo to Vimeo.com. It still exists. And that went live on March 27th. I left... Uh, I was gone from uh, Splash Damage in the middle of January. So, while we were gone, I should have actually thought, what, were I, what was I doing, basically... For two and a half months. Oh well, I I don't remember you diving into videoing at the time. I think you had a few weeks where you just were relaxing and everything, and then yeah. I think we probably started talking about what are you going to do with your time. Well, remember, I don't. Did you have anything? Remember that guy who came out from his Deviam? There, as Deviam was a local, or not very local. I I forget. They were somewhere west of us, like a half hour drive away. Uh, they were a board game distribution channel or distribu a distributor. 
uh, you know, a warehouse basically that just distributed board games all around England. And I had contacted them to say, hey, do you have any jobs? Uh, maybe I could actually try and get a job in the board game industry. Maybe I should do that. And uh, a guy from there literally came to our house and he brought a handful of games and said, well, you know what we're thinking about is uh, trying to have this program where we have a representative go to friendly local game stores all over England and demo games so they will buy them and sell them. Huh. And so he sat down and kind of did a test with me. And I and you know, showed me some games, and this is kind of what we're doing. I'm like, okay, well, let me do one. And so he sh he showed me Timeline, and I did a pitch for Timeline. And I think I probably I would believe I nailed it. And uh, he said, oh, that's very interesting. We'll have to talk more. And then I don't believe I ever talked to them again. Huh. Now I'm going to see if I have any emails from SDVM from SDVM because it must have been. Yep. Oh yeah, the email was called Shot in the Dark. Uh wow. And oh, yeah, this was. Oh, that's January fifth. So I was actually talking to him before I actually left Splash Damage. Well, you might have left at the end of the year, and they just had extra time. That they no, 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 no. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I remember it was right. But anyway, so uh, wow, look at all this stuff. And um, oh my goodness. So anyway, yeah, I was doing that in the month of January, apparently. And uh, oh no, well, I, there was actually talk about me going to a shop in Godalming and actually doing this for real. And then he said, hey, you know, because I said, well, hey, you want me to go do this in the Godalming shop? Classicalgameshop.co.uk. Uh, and he said, thanks for the link. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go check out the store. And then I never heard from him again. Mm. So did they, did they eat him? Yeah. Uh, apparently Mike changed his mind and thought there was not worth uh, paying me money to go around and sell games. Uh, um, although... One could argue that's what I do now. And um, <laughs> just not for Esdivium. And they could have been the first. They were in Alton. Uh, and I assume they're still there. I think they've since been bought by Asmodee, and they're now Asmodee UK or something like that. So apparently that's what I was doing in the month of January. Because I was talking to them right at the beginning, and the last I heard from them was February 2nd. And then what did I do when I, when I stopped waiting for him to call me back? I mean, we were, we were playing games. Yeah. I think um, you just picked up your phone one day and started filming them. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, because the, the thing is, if you go to faq.rado.com, you will see there's an entry, what got me started on board games, and that will lead you to a thread, uh, which is in Helvetia, that was um, posted in March. Any word on whether rules will be available? And then Joel Eddy said, hey, here's the rules. And somebody said, hey, Joel, are you going to cover the game? And I said, I, Joel said, I don't know, maybe I will. And I said, I'll do it! And two days later, the next day... Oh, there it is. Yeah. I've always wanted to make I've a board I've always game. wanted to make a board game video. So I went ahead and did one for Helvetia. I'll try to put it up, although I'm not sure how. I understand YouTube limits to 10 minutes, so I guess I'll go Vimeo? I don't know. I'll figure it out. Edit. Same day. I just checked it, and it's two gigs! <laughs> two gigs. Can you imagine such a thing? That's a very small video. Uh, I guess the iPhone records in HD by default. Not sure what to do, but we'll see. And then the next day, I had a link, uh, and I said, Phew! What an ordeal. And it looks like... Nobody ever said anything. Nobody ever replied. <laughs> and then other people. What's this three cents? Um, that, that's geek gold. So seven, six, to be fair, sixty-five people thumbed me for doing it, and three people gave me geek or gave me some geek gold. But then the thread continued. Or where are the damn rules? I don't care about any of this stuff. Whoever <laughs> this Richard Ham guy is, uh, saying he'll make a video. Who cares? And then finally, somebody here. Finally, we have the rules available. And uh, so yeah, I did not make much of an impact on uh, Quentin Geek or Matt. Oh S. my gosh! Look at this picture. Of Tulip. Uh, me and Tulip. Yeah, that's just, that's my. Uh... What a fat bumbleaddie she was. <laughs> even with that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so there's, a, there, I, I've got a lost, I guess, month and a half, basically. Well, you did take some time off and relax and read books and. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was uh, when I was still reading books. Because for, I mean, I, I, re- I used to read, I'm sure we've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast. I read tons of books growing up. I stopped and I got into the video game industry. I briefly started again when I got a special Brink e-reader. Yep. And then it was stolen in an airport and then I stopped again. So I was probably still reading a little bit. But then, yeah, this thread came up and I was like, oh, this is a good, because good, good. I've been thinking about doing it for quite a while. And the thread gave me an excuse to do it. And uh, and it's just hilarious. Nobody cared in this thread. <laughs> no, you got sixty five. But I do right. I got sixty five thumbs. Um, although who knows? Maybe those thumbs. Maybe people. It's like a pilgrimage. You know, no. they, they, <laughs> they, they and... all come to this thread to thumb the original place where it started, or something like that. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've still got these emails from his Wow. Wow. Um, so anyway, sorry, folks. That was neither here nor there. Uh, and you couldn't see any of that because I didn't want to share email addresses and stuff like that, obviously. So, um, right. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I was just hanging out. I was just chilling, chillaxing for the first time in 20 some years. Yeah. And I could stand that for about a month. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get out of this house. Yeah. That was when I, when I said, honey, I, you think I can retire? Do you think I could, I could just come home full time? She said, I think we can, but I don't know if I can stand being around you that much because well, I, I am well past those early days of when I missed you so much. Now I'm like <laughs> happy that you're gone 80% of our waking lives. No, I don't think it was quite like that. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm but silly. I definitely had built a life of my own. Yeah. So you were, yeah, you were totally used to being on your own. Just you and the dogs and the chickens pretty much 24-7. Yeah. And, well, and I would show up for a couple hours. And this was crazy because you were, I think it was three hours or something to get into Bromley and yeah. three hours to get back. No, it, well, it depends. Uh, like in really bad winter, it could, you know, and there were trains broke down or whatnot. But I think my normal commute was like 70 minutes both ways. Something yeah, it was like a that. Long, you were gone a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you would drive and that would be a little bit faster. But, yeah. oh, gosh. Yeah. That was and that's a when I blew out my knee. Freaking way, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it was longer when I was still bicycling. Because when I first started doing it, yeah. I only rode the train about halfway, and then I bicycled every day. I was, like, biking for, I don't know, probably 30 miles round trip every day doing this. Uh, you know, and I got hit a few times. Cause I've been hit many times on my bicycle. Uh, and I always get back up. But <laughs> my right knee is now toast. So maybe maybe one of those times I didn't get up as strong as I thought. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, anyway, though. Uh, so, yeah. I just took a break, apparently. But I was already thinking, already thinking about, hey, can I turn this uh, board game thing? And because I, I've talked about this before, I just wanted to keep getting board games. Yeah. And if you retired, we couldn't afford to buy all the board games you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Like... And that's probably why I contacted Asdemium, because, hey, I could probably get them cheap there. Maybe I could get an employee discount. Mm-hmm. That's probably what I was thinking. Probably. All right, anyway, from Olivier, it, um, is English one of the most difficult languages to learn? This came up recently somewhere. Uh, was, was it in the podcast? Did we talk about this, or did I talk about it someplace else? I don't remember. I don't know. I've seen a bunch of things on Facebook saying why English is so yeah, difficult Yeah, you, you often hear that. But Olivier points out, when, you, when I mentioned this, Olivier was totally flabbergasted. His native tongue is French. When he grew up, he learned English intensively at about 11. He's currently 33. He's lived all his life with everyone around him. Just knowing English is so much easier to learn than French. Mm. English is so clean and easy compared to all the thousands of weird exceptions in French. Okay, Olivier, there's a lot of weird exceptions in English, too. Mm-hmm. Verb conjugation, the lack of masculine and feminine distinction are two main I will reasons. I agree. Yes. yes. If English gets one thing right, although we do. We, re- we refer to ships as she's. Yeah, but we, there's we a just verb a... conjugation to go with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we have some weird stuff. Um, putting S at the end of words instead of ES. We've got a lot of really weird, persnickety little just 
gobbledygook. Yeah. It just makes no sense and is completely inconsistent. Um, and honestly, when we started trying to learn French at one point, because we were going to do another, I think our second French road trip, yeah. and uh, we didn't get very far, but what we saw, it seemed like it was pretty clean and straightforward and easy as well, far as we went. the thing is we took a, a course. An online thing, yeah. That was how to have conversational French. Yes. And it was like the the 20 things you need to know. To just be able to get by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And not, it was not conjugating verbs and, you know, learning every word for everything. Yeah. It was just the, the most important stuff. And it was like, oh, I can actually go into a boulangerie and ask for what I want now, yep. you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's all gone now, unfortunately, because we didn't stick with it. But Or, you know, you're in a restaurant and you're ordering and you need another minute. and So, you know, how to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without being rude. Yep. So... See, after I mentioned that learning English was hard, Olivier had to search a bit on the internet and found something rather interesting. If you type, which is harder to learn, English or French, in English, the majority of articles point to English being harder. If you type it in French, <laughs> it's the other way around, with French articles saying French is harder. I'm hypothesizing that maybe people like to view their native tongue as harder to learn. Of course, learning a new language will depend on what languages you already know. Uh, Spanish and French are ridiculously easy because they're so alike. Uh, are you making the transition? I'm guessing those are still very much easier to learn than Mandarin, Japanese, Arabic. Arabic for us mm. English French speakers. Any thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm sure that's true. I, I, I am definitely curious though if there is some kind of definitive uh, because I am. It's just so many dumb, stupid rules in English. But it feels to me like I, I appreciate those rules exist in French too. But it feels like your rules are consistent. I mean, I, I I've never. I mean, we we both took German in high school and college. That's how we met in German. 102 at the University of Washington. And German is very regimented, very structured. And it just makes sense. It's like almost like a programming language, quite frankly, I mean, you know, because of the way structure works. But I'd be willing to bet there's probably some German out there listening who's just like, you know, uh, you know, doing a spit take and saying, what are you talking about? Look at all this crazy business in our language as well. Probably, the, you know, uh, familiarity breeds contempt, I believe, is a phrase that maybe we all share for our native tongue, perhaps. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I've been thinking about going to Costa Rica. Yes. Uh-oh. This is news to me. Just as a visit, because I've heard so many amazing things about how beautiful it is down there. Okay. And I was thinking about trying to um, find a Spanish course from that same yes, guy. Yes, you the regularly was... hear Spanish is one of the easiest languages to learn. Yeah, but I was just thinking the same guy that did that French course. Oh, if he had a conversational Spanish? Yeah, yeah and just doing that. Cause, so we could, we could try that. Because <laughs> we did that conversational French together for a while. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we were taking it pretty seriously. We have a few. We have a few phrases we can still say. <laughs> I don't think I, I. I don't have any at this point. Oh, all right. I'm not uh, gonna. I'm not gonna embarrass myself. Okay. Yeah. Not, not with Olivier listening. Obviously. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, every time I've ever looked at any language, I mean, you know, it's a cursory glance, but it feels oh, like... my favorite it, French... What, what, okay, French, she, she remembers one. Um, phrase is, je suis désolé. Je suis désolé. That's, I am sorry. I'm sorry. Je suis désolé. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm, it sounds I'm like you really desolate yes. that I've done this. Whatever it was, I'm so sorry. I love it. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Continuing on, Olivier wants to talk about hyphenated last names because we mentioned Jen took uh, my last name and now officially has a hyphenated last name and has caused troubles with the passport while traveling. Olivier is surprised. In Quebec, there's a big rise in feminism, uh, which is not what we're talking about today, and the government outlawed women from taking their husband's last name what? when marrying. Wow. So they had no choice but to keep their maiden names. And is this Since still true today? Wow. Since 1981. Oh, my goodness. That's weird. 
Okay. At the same time, the government allowed parents to give both their last names to their children, resulting in many children, 20% of newborns at its peak, born in the 80s and 90s, to have hyphenated last name. It's now down to 10% these days. Wow, that is fascinating. Uh, Olivier's wife has a hyphenated last name, and she's never had any issue traveling anywhere, nor did anyone um, Olivier knows with hyphenated last names have a problem. Uh, she does find her full name longer to write, yeah. and that represents the biggest complaint. What are the issues Jen has had? Okay, well, it's not that our, it's a problem getting passports. It's that um, when you book a flight yes. with an airline... They don't understand the hyphen. So yeah. I have to... Did I just do it under it my maiden like name? They, did I do it under my... Yeah, it seems like they all handle it differently. Yeah. Some of them some of them actually will recognize the hyphen. Some of them will just treat it as a blank space. Yep. Some of them will treat it as a null, and her name is literally B-U-M-P-H-A-M, one word. Yeah. And it, you just you just never know. Yep. And so you have to go through all of the iterations yeah. to find out which way it is. Is it this way? Is it this way? Is it this way? Because unfortunately... She has to use her passport, which says bump dash ham. Yep. I'm surprised your wife has never had that problem, Olivier. Uh, yeah, because that's the number one thing on airline websites. Uh, maybe it's because Jen is flying. I know, maybe it's, I mean, heck, maybe the entire French Canadian airline economy is much better about this, quite frankly, mm. because as you say, 20% of residents at its height have these. And so they are, okay, we have to treat this seriously. Yeah. Because generally speaking, I guess outside of of uh, Canada, hyphenated last names are not a thing. Well, in England, there's there are quite a few people who have hyphenated names. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Camilla Park Bowles, for example. But does she have a dash in her name? I don't know. Camilla Parker Bowles? I don't know. I'd have to look um, at yeah, I don't anyway. think so. I, 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 I imagine there's other ones, but it's mostly airlines that has just given you grief over the yeah. years. We've almost never flown without it at some point saying, well, okay, who are you? Wait, let me double check. Okay, okay, I have to do something special. Yep. It's uh, got a hyphen on your passport, um, but we person. don't have the hyphen in our yeah. in our records for you. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's that's what happens. It's it's not the end of the world. It's not like we're, we're jet, constantly jet-setting around. It's just a minor annoyance, really. Yeah. Um, well, and then, like, my medical records are all in my full name, so I have to remember when I call for an appointment at the doctor yeah. that it's not just Jennifer Ham. Yeah, yeah. But, um, actually, if if anything, honestly, what has caused her more grief over the years is not the bump-dash-ham, it's the Jennifer. Oh. Because when she, hey, if I'm changing my name, I might as well change my first name, too. Jen was born, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, but she's, she had the brilliant idea to say, I want to be a really special Jennifer, uh, because you were named Jennifer at the height of Jennifer's. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you, you had, like, in your high school, there were seven Jennifers. Mm-hmm. You were Jennifer number seven, or whatever yeah. it was. Um, and so she renamed it to J-E-N-E-F-E-R. And the uh, we have both had to spell that out 50,000 times over the course of our lives now, because no one will ever, 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 ever get that right. Nope. And it's annoying as all get out. I'm fine with it. <laughs> She's resigned herself to it. I, I like it. I like the oh, symmetry yeah, no, of it. No, no, it's, it's very cool, but it is a pain. I mean, that is something we have to correct people on when we're talking to people on the phone, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you, you spell it out, and they still get it wrong. J-E-N-I, what? It's just because it's so weird and so different. She loves it, though. I really like All right. it. She likes making work for herself. All right, TJ is back. Has some questions about NFTs. Uh, any? Oh my gosh! So as long as very accusatory, What's an especially. NFT? It's a non-fungible token. Uh, it's it's a uh, Jen has no idea. Non-fungible and, token. Yep, yep, yep. Meaning you can't use it as money. Uh, no. Uh, it's it's a thing. All right. If it, all right, I'm really interested in what you have to say. If it's too long, skip to the last two paragraphs. I think I might do that right now, TJ, because we're in an hour and a half. So, first of all, if anybody wants to see everything in uh, TJ has to say, uh, you can pause, 
read his first paragraph. Pause, read his second and third paragraph. Pause, read, um, wow, yeah, he wrote quite a bit. Uh, and, and here's the thing, TJ, I don't, I, I don't know, I, I apologize if I stepped in it. I really know nothing about this. Uh, the, the full extent of my thoughts on um, NFTs were, well, this is kind of a gut feeling I have, um, but I, I, I don't really have any hard... I, I have that video that has made the rounds that's two hours long. It's in my to-watch list, but it's two freaking hours long. I'm going to watch it. What is it? The Art of Going Down or Always Going Up or something like that? All righty. Um, right, so you're still talking about it. Okay. So, we got through all that. So, anyway, folks, I'm, I'm sure... I, I want to give TJ's due. He had a lot to say, and hopefully uh, people enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm just, I'm not an NFT guy. But anyway, leaving all that aside, leaving the uh, novella he wrote aside, curious, what do I, as a game designer, uh, would think if a player would make a main character in Siphon Filter wear the Philly Fanatic costume or Star Wars underoos during a climactic scene? What about if they could make them wear a sign that says Rado is stupid or COVID is a, ho or COVID is a hoax? Uh, would I feel different if they took screenshots and shared them? All right. Which, of course, is, I'm sure he mentioned in there, one of the things NFTs allow to do is digital ownership that, you know, ultimately in the future will lead to, you know, cross-pollinization between games, which I think is very cool. Um... Most of that I don't have a problem with, quite frankly. I guess right being I have no, I don't have a problem with any of it. Uh, because you have to remember, I did Brink. And one of the things we were trying to do in Brink, and it's one of my big... I mean, I have so many heartbreaking things that were there, but not quite and didn't quite make it into the shipping game, or we had to cut, or there was bugs or whatever. One of the things is, you know, that is a game where it's all about customizing your own character, and um, all the characters in our cutscenes, we don't have very many cutscenes, but all those characters are supposed to show up as uh, customized characters. And I, it does work for you. Your character shows up customized. But if you're playing online with other people, the other characters in the scenes that you're in are supposed to be um, grabbed from the people you're going to play with, that you would pick a few people that are on your team and it, those would be the people you're talking to in the cutscenes and I loved it and um, you know we did a ton of testing internally and where it worked but it somehow in the final version didn't work and I mean and, and, and to be fair it had the potential to completely undercut the serious message-based tone that we were going for in our cutscenes and yeah and uh, that certainly bothered Ed, I'm sure, you know, the, our main writer, and I, and I felt for him. But the fact that it allowed you, as a player, to project yourself into these scenes um, and to give you a creative outlet, I thought was actually really, really cool. I mean, I, don't forget, I, I worked on The Sims, and, um, you know, it drives me nuts. Uh, Days Gone, I love their photo mode. Uh, of course, I, I, I haven't never played Days Gone, but I loved it because it was made by my friends at, uh, at Idetic. We had that exact same photo mode a decade earlier on Fable 2. And it was, I mean, we really worked hard on it. It was a system where you could, as a player, you could pause the game, move the camera wherever you wanted, take really cool dynamic shots. We used it, our testing department, we used it all the time to be able to take pictures of bugs. It was actually fantastic for that. And the way it would work, because this is a long time ago, it turns out on the Xbox 360, every Xbox Live account has a tiny little 250k bit of uh, storage in a Microsoft cloud that nobody knows about that exists for the sole purpose of multiplayer game developers to be able to push important stats-based updates downstream to people. And we said, and nobody's using it. As far as I know, no game ever used this. And we're like, that's big enough for a picture. 
That's big enough for a compressed JPEG. And so we were going to use this to allow it to go the other way. The people could snap these pictures one at a time and upload them, and they would exist online. And then people could grab them and do whatever they wanted. And it, oh, that was the day that I, the one day I called in sick. Uh, for my two plus years working at Lionhead, and I it was so de dead on desk door, I had to call in sick. Was the day that um, that feature was cut because I wasn't there and I couldn't fight for it, and we also had difficulty levels. So you, I mean, if you ever played Fable Two, you thought, "Wow, this game is really easy." It had a hard mode, and it was awesome. And the one day I was sick was the day that they cut it, and. That was the day I quit in my head. I'm like, okay, if you're going to do this to me, those two things are so incredibly important to me. And if you just wait until I'm not even there and do it behind my back, uh, I'm, I'm counting the days until I leave. And uh, but anyway, sorry, that's neither here nor there. But anyway, I'm talking. I'm a guy who loves players infusing themselves. So you ask, how would I feel about that in Siphon Filter? I think that's awesome. Um, I admit. Not really crazy about saying, you know, saying Rado is stupid. Hey, that's fine. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not with Rado. Whatever. COVID is a hoax. That's a problem, but that's a whole different thing. I certainly wouldn't be crazy about my games being a uh, a uh, vector for misinformation and all of that. But uh, I don't think I, I, I suspect that would not be its primary use. So I think it's cool, uh, and I do think it's worth uh, giving players. Skin literally in the game. They can put their skins in the game. They can buy them. They can move from game to game. I, th I think it's worth it. Uh, even if there are some unfortunate offshoots. Anyway, sorry. That was neither here nor there. Uh, I got way off into the weeds there. But finally, I was wondering if we could do a whole bunch of time traveling and make Siphon Filter an NFT. Would I consider it? Are there... Jen's just looking for her words of wisdom now, folks. Because Jen has nothing to say about any of this. She literally does not know what an NFT is. Uh, I looked it up. Okay. It's far too much. And just, far too... Ah! <laughs> don't don't want to know. Um, right. Would I consider making Siphon Filter an NFT? Are there certain conditions you'd have for it? Uh, would you allow one crazy rich guy to own the only work out? As I understand it, nobody's talking about ownership of actual software as NFT, are they? Again, my ignorance might be showing here. As I said last month, I'm really mostly... I, I, I just have a basic toehold of, of understanding about all these things. Um, and, but I mean, I, I, again, if I, I, I would, I would love for Siphon Filter to be at the vanguard of a potential future where publishers cross pollinate, where players can take their identity from one game, from one publisher to another game, from another publisher. I think that is wonderful. I think the vast majority of players, if they had all their Siphon Filter gear and they said, oh, I bought Siphon Filter in there, but they were all done with this standard NFT format that um, when I go and play a Lord of the Rings game, I could run around as Game Logan in Lord of the Rings. I think that's awesome. Uh, because the thing is, the vast majority of people say, oh yeah, I, I might do that for fun if I'm playing online, but when I'm actually playing the game, I'll probably put on proper Lord of the Rings clothes. But if that's what you makes you have fun with the game, great! I don't want to stand in the way of that. So, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of all of that potential. Uh, it's something I wish I could have seen more of. It's, it's the kind of stuff I pushed for. Uh, you know, continuity of experience between games. It drove me nuts. I wanted Siphon Filter 2 to read your memory card if you if and if it found a Siphon Filter 1 save game on there. And I wanted to do the same thing for Fable. Um, although we couldn't do that because Fable 1 was Xbox and Fable 2 was Xbox 360. But I, I, I've always been excited about these kinds of meta things. And NFT is the ultimate meta. As for... I, 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 Again, I, I'm sure if I read your, your long story, I mean, I guess there's something about games themselves in their entirety becoming NFTs. That seems a bit iffy, but 
I'll, I'll look forward to reading your email later. Okay. And uh, now, Honey Pie, mm. you've waited very patiently. Is it time? It's time for doggos. Oh, doggos! Uh, we don't have many. Uh, people used to send lots of pictures of doggos, but we can always rely on Nigel every month to bring us oh. some sky. Oh, I need Ooh, to shrink need to this shrink a little it. bit. There we go. We're a little too big. A little too big. There's a. Uh, there's. Uh, there's this Charlie and Nigel has decided because we've mentioned in the past. How can you tell the difference between these two dogs? Charlie, aka Choppy Boy, three and a bit. Uh, ear style, crepe. Coat style, sleek. Likes balls, tennis. He doesn't have the other kind anymore. Dislikes fireworks, loud noises. Okay. That's Charlie, and here's Sky. And now you put these two pictures side by side, and I'm like, okay, instantly you can see these are different dogs. Um, Sky, the Duchess of Bork, uh, age nearly two, uh, ear style, Scotch pancake, as opposed to crepe. crepe, which I guess that's a color thing. They both look like triangular Labrador pictures to me. But yeah, Sky is definitely a lighter dog. Um, coat style, squidgy, as opposed to uh, sleek. Good to know. These are very technical terms. Likes chaos, dislikes pigeons. Mm-hmm. All righty. So there's our, our monthly uh, visit from um, Sky and Charlie. Oh. And now Jen is, say, Jen is making me move them up and down. Because <laughs> I'm trying to see the difference. Basically, Charlie is a bit more golden. Yep. Uh, maybe we can try No, it's clearly is crepe and sleek coats, not just more golden. Um, interesting. I mean, in this picture, Sky is a lot more jowly. Yeah. But I mean, but Charlie's too. mouth is open. So that I'm going to try to they're close to the same there. All right. So that was fun. We love them, Nigel. Keep them coming. Oh, let's see. I think Sky has a white nose. Oh, no. They both have light noses. Yeah, they both have light noses. Yep. Oh, dear. <laughs> But we'll, we'll, we'll watch for the squidgy fur uh, as, as, a, as a determiner in the future. Yes. All right. Then we've got something from Tim. This oh. is a picture of Lulu, a support dog. And there is a story, which I haven't read yet. This is uh, my fiance. saw our families in 2019. We weren't able to again until we went on vacation in 2021. On our way to Kentucky, we stopped overnight in, uh, at their sister's in Cincinnati. His sister had an emotional support dog, Lulu, who, if you can't see, folks, is an adorable Dachshund with the longest tail I have ever seen. Oh, Look at that thing. Yeah. It's like the length of the body. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, Lulu is a sweet dog, loves everyone. Uh, got sisters. Lulu got very excited, wagging the tail so quickly that her whole butt was shaking back and forth and peed on the floor. Oh, oh no. Next morning, she peed on the floor again. Uh, after sister cleans up, Lulu ran up to me, showed me the belly, got up, peed on the floor. And she never pees on the floor. So uh, this is all from Tim. Uh, uh, Tim just brings the pee out of her somehow. <laughs> oh. Next day, they went to Kentucky. Uh, they went to an emergency room. Uh, which turned oh. out to be a kidney stone. Next day, saw a urologist. The day after that, the urologist removed the kidney stone. And after that, went, went to the beach. No swimming. And finally, after that, the trip was over. Each time Lulu saw me, she hadn't seen me for a while, she ran up, wagged a tail, and peed the floor. Sometimes, she uh, rapidly licking her nose and showing me her belly. I hypothesized that her sense of smell was so good, she was able to smell something was off about me. Blood in my urine or something. I asked my vet about it, and she agreed it was possible. We don't know how likely. When I saw Lulu again on Christmas, no kidney stones this side. As far as I know, uh, more pee on the floor. Uh, just like we were on vacation. She literally doesn't do this except when I'm there. Uh, what does Jen think this might be? And to be clear, we do ask vets about this. I thought you might find it interesting. Plus, Lulu is adorable. And unrelated, also it was interesting, the way they removed the kidney stone was by putting me under general anesthesia, putting a fiber optic cable up there, and shooting it with a laser... <laughs> Welcome to our cyberpunk future. Wow. Nice, nice. That is very cool. 
So what do you think? Does, does, did Lulu smell the stone and was just trying to communicate with his very odd and very specific behavior? Yeah. I think it's more of a dominance issue. And yeah. she was submitting. The Lulu was submitting to Tim? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whatever, it's the way you stand over her or... The, the tone of her vo- your voice. Yeah. You know, who knows? But I think it's it's a submissive issue. Yeah. But All right. that, I like the idea, but yeah. since she pees even when you don't have a kidney stone. That is That does kind of shoot a hole in the theory, unfortunately. Although, Tim, have you seen a specialist? You might need to go back and check again, pal. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Lulu has spoken. Or peed. Or, or yeah. She yeah. has expressed herself. Yep. Okay, and that's it, folks. Uh, we are done with another episode. Oh, wait. Nope, because they don't ask anymore. Jen's got to do her words of wisdom. Okay, I want... Can, can you pause for a second and we can load this Hold up? Hold on a second. I'm going to put it on screen. Okay, we've got it. Switching over to the browser. And this is the song from Michael Franti, Good Day for a Good Day. Why are we uh, Why are we doing this pop song, honey? Oh, uh, lately I wake up every morning with the main refrain of this in my head. And I think it's a wonderful. Okay. Um, to wake up and just decide you're going to have a good day. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the third paragraph down. Yeah. Um, it'd be, you know, today would be a very good day just to have a good day. With a little more love and a little more laughter, a little more good vibes, less disaster. You know, today would be a very good day just to have a good day. All day long. All day long. Okay. Words of wisdom from Michael Franci, who is actually a really great... uh, We actually like a lot of his music. Yeah, we do. Um, Okay, folks. That is it. Another one in uh, the rearview mirror. and uh, In the can. In in, in the can. In the can. 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 Yes, that's where they go. It doesn't go in the rearview mirror. (laughs) Um, In the the can in the rearview mirror. And if you have any more questions for next month, please send them to questions at rado.com because we don't have a show without you folks. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for the questions you sent in. Thanks for watching. If you're on YouTube, have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye.